This episode is brought to you by Arcteryx. When Jordan Cannon, a young climber infatuated with climbing history, meets climbing legend Mark Hudon, a Yosemite big wall free climbing pioneer, they form an unlikely partnership around a common goal. Jordan wants to free climb the free rider on El Cap in a day, and Mark hopes to free the route in as many days as it takes and accomplish his lifelong goal of free climbing El Capitan. Follow their story in Free As Can Be, a short climbing film brought to you by Arcteryx. I watched the film about a month ago. It's 31 minutes long. It's so well done. It's a story of climbing partnership and adventure. And if you love this podcast, and especially if you loved my episode with Jordan Cannon, episode 115, one of my favorite episodes, then I know you'll love the film. So check it out. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx Free As Can Be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Once again, you can head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx free as can be, or use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Arcteryx presents Free As Can Be, and we hope you enjoy the film. This episode is also brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I have been taking the Fizzy Vantage supercharged collagen every day for several months now, and I love knowing that my tendons and my ligaments are getting all the building blocks they need to get stronger. Supercharged Collagen is a research-based, athlete-proven supplement that supports collagen synthesis in connective tissues and the force transfer matrix of muscle. What the hell does that mean? Well, to me, it means that if you want stronger fingers, you should be supplementing with collagen. I personally am taking collagen about an hour before my finger training or before my climbing sessions to try to get the most out of my training. As many of you know, I am relentlessly working on finger strength, and I really think the extra collagen is helping. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off your next order of supercharged collagen or any of their other amazing products. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Crimped. This is the best app I've seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. If you are a self-coached climber or you're interested in training for the very first time, Crimped was designed to give you a professional training experience right there in your pocket. All of the workouts in the app are crafted by world-class climbers and coaches, Tom Randall, who's been on the podcast, and his partner, Ollie Tor of Lattice Training. You can find workouts that are tailored to help improve your endurance, your power endurance, your strength, conditioning, mobility, finger strength, you name it. Whatever you want to work on, there's workouts designed to work on that specific thing. It's all in the app for free. With Crimped, training on your own has never been easier. So check out Crimped. Go to crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. That's crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store to get started with your training. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Alice Hafer. Alice is a climber, writer, and coach. She's the founder of Mind Strength Coaching, and I'm just going to read part of her bio from her website. Alice Hafer is a writer, rock climber, RYT 200 certified yoga teacher, and performance climbing coach. She's been climbing for 12 plus years and has worked in fitness and exercise for over 10 years. She's coached workshops at women's events for more than three years, including the Unleashed Festival and the Women's Bouldering Festival. 
And I'm going to jump ahead here. She's climbed V11, 514A, 13A trad, and 13A 700 meter big walls. And she's had some success in competition climbing as well. And I really enjoyed talking to Alice. She's a badass in her own right. She's a very accomplished rock climber. And in this conversation, we really focused on mental coaching and our ability to train and change our minds. That's something that Alice has a lot of personal practice with. As you'll hear in this conversation, Alice has struggled with depression and anxiety in her own life and has done a lot of work on herself to overcome those things and to be a better climber for it. And a lot of the things that she's worked on in her own climbing mental strength journey have transferred to other parts of her life and vice versa. So we jumped all over the place in this conversation. I probably talked too much and related too many of these things to myself, but I found it really interesting. I could relate to a lot of the things that she had to share. And if mental training is something that you haven't thought much about or haven't worked on much, or even if you have, honestly, I think you'll find some great nuggets in this conversation and I think it'll be helpful. Alice really knows her stuff and she had a lot of great things to share. All right, I think we'll dive in. I hope you guys enjoy this wide ranging deep dive into mental training with Alice Hafer. There we go. There we go. <laughs> I like this. this yeah, this is better. It sounds good or it sounds at least as good. Okay. And uh, I can see your face. Yeah, that's that's a it's a bonus. Yeah. Your is your phone all charged up? You've got enough juice? I'm setting it up right now. Perfect. Okay. Here we go. Ready for this roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. How's it going? It's good on my end. Yeah. I've got all my notes and stuff, but it, I, I didn't feel like some it's it's interesting like every guest is so different sometimes I really get in my head and like almost convince myself that you know this thing's not scripted right like I'm just asking questions and just having this like natural conversation hopefully with the guest but sometimes I can kind of convince myself that I have to have this whole like narrative structure and everything has to flow and like all the stories have to feed into you know I can kind of like especially with a bigger profile guest or like a climber who has um who's a good storyteller, who has like really engaging like adventure stories to share and things like that. I get like overwhelmed in my outline. I like refine it and it has to be all dialed in. And then with you, like I just have like a few bullet points because you're so easy. You're so easy to talk to. No, I'm not. (laughs) I just like, you're easy to talk to. I know that if I ask about any of these bullet points, it's just going to naturally lead to an interesting discussion, but there, it doesn't feel like there has to be as much of a like linear plan. Does that make sense? Am I making any sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. And I, I feel like what you're describing is like that perfectionist mentality, which absolutely comes over me whenever I'm writing anything like yeah. if I'm writing a piece for somebody I just start to lose my mind you know like bullet pointing everything and doing like five paragraph essay analysis <laughs> you know, like. right <laughs> totally like I mean a great example is like if I you know when I interviewed Jerry Moffat for instance I've read his book I've like followed his climbing forever he's done all these other interviews and I'm like I really want to capture these 10 things 
you know, these stories, these like nuggets that I know he has, like all these different things. And I'm like stressing about like how to fit it all in. And I just don't feel stressed about that with you because I know that this is going to be an interesting discussion. It's going to be helpful for people and probably really relatable, but like I'm not as attached. I mean, this is great. This is what we're going to talk about, but I'm not as attached to like yeah. <laughs> a, a specific outcome with this conversation, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah. I, you know, it's really hilarious because I was thinking about this in, in terms of my coaching, I'm very attached to the outcome, right? Like I'm really worried that someone's going to have a good experience, but when I do external client work here and there, because I worked in marketing for many years, I really have this like, don't care mentality. And I think it really helps me just kind of like do the work really fast. And then I send it off to them and I'm like, hope you like it. <laughs> you know? Right. Totally. <laughs> it's like a very different, a very, very different feeling. So yeah. I definitely understand that. And I don't know if that level of attachment and control helps really, you know, like it might make, it might make a conversation 5% better when I put three times as much effort into the prep. But like, as long as I have some questions and some bullet points and things, it's probably going to be fine. But I, you know, just squeezing it like, no, it has to be amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, if we're going to draw this back to climbing, because, you know, we, we should, because everything is a climbing metaphor, right? <laughs> Think about it. Like, you know, you're going for a rug point you're going to try your best to prepare, right? You're going to memorize all the beta. You're going to look for subtleties. But then on the day of, you just want to let all that stuff go, right? And you just want to get into the flow of the moment. And it's really funny because like Brad Govart was like a friend of mine. And he used to tell me that he didn't actually memorize beta. And that really, really struck like struck me because he was basically kind of doing half the climb impromptu, right? Wow. And so he's like, well, I will, I will memorize something like really small, you know, if there's a specific sequence that is really complex, but the rest of it, he's like, I actually prefer not to memorize it because then it means that I'm always on my toes. I'm always being like the best climber in that moment and reacting to the situation. And I thought that was just like one of the most amazing pieces of wisdom that's really like helped my climbing, honestly. So it's kind of like a mix of those, mix of those things. That's fascinating. That's, that's so different to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such an engineer. Oh. Yeah. You know, like I, I mean, I wonder, like, that's really interesting to hear about that from Brad. I mean, he did so much trad climbing. It, it Maybe it makes more sense in that context where you're following a crack and there's like, you know, you don't necessarily have to have the entire sequence memorized. There's a little bit more intuition there. But for me, I sport climb in Boulder and like everything is memorized. I mean, usually yeah. by the time I'm trying to red point a hard sport route, it's like the number of times I flick my hand between moves and like where I chalk up is even part of my sequence, right? It's like all memorized. And I mean, I hear what you're saying though. Like I'm still striving to turn off like the analysis and just kind of like trust my body to do what it's going to do. But, um, but leading up to that, like every single piece of minutia is like part of this 
choreography for me. So that's, I don't know if I would do well with the, with the like half, half intuitive onsite approach. That's really interesting. Well, over time you might learn into it because mm. I mean, the way I would talk to somebody about what you're describing is when you memorize every single piece of a climb, you're actually putting that climb into your comfort zone. So like by mm. making it, making it something that you've done a thousand times. And by the time you sent it, it's easy for you, quote unquote, that means that climb has now moved from out of your comfort zone to into your comfort zone. So what I kind of try to encourage people is to play that boundary, but a little bit closer, like try and do it before you're ready. Like before you've memorized everything mm. and like making mistakes is part of the game. So it's really about like how you handle those mistakes. And I think that's what I took away from, from his advice was like learning how to handle making mistakes on a climb that you even have red pointed before, but still managing to get to the top. Mm. No, that's, that's great. I, actually that resonates too. Cause that reminds me now I'm thinking more of like quick red points, you know, like for me, that's the role and the importance of trying to climb a lot of things in like two to six tries. Cause that's developing that skill of like, what are the key pieces of information that I need to memorize? I can't memorize it all in two tries. Mm -hmm. Right. So like, I'm just going to remember this hand sequence for the crux in that one foothold and trust myself to like figure out the rest. But then like the more tries things take, Mm -hmm. you know, then I'm like moving more and more of those pieces of the climb into the comfort zone. So that, that's interesting. But I think that's a valuable yeah. skill. Like you said, I think that's, it's really good to try to perform and be stretching your comfort zone at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really interesting. And it's definitely hard. I think it's harder, but it's still more rewarding, I think, just to be able to handle anything, just just like life, you know, you want to be able to handle it. <laughs> well, and, and it's interesting, like I, something that I immediately thought of when you were just talking is um, I've actually seen, like maybe it'd be interesting to talk about why you would want to do that versus bring everything into your comfort zone all the time. And I think like kind of showcasing the opposite would be an interesting contrast, you know, like I immediately thought of some friends of mine who I've seen do this at Smith Rock because it's run out, it's scary, it's intimidating. I had many friends there who would just top rope things to death and like literally never take a lead fall until they were ready to send, you know? They just like would go bolt to bolt, they would climb to the next clip because they were hanging on the rope and they were fresh and they would clip in and say take and slowly start to piece the climb together but never stretching themselves to the point where they were gonna fall off. and. Um, I mean, it works. Like I've seen a lot of my friends climb really hard things that way, but I was always just like, dude, like you're going to spend a month just dogging this thing and you've never once like gotten scared on it or you've never once like just gone for it to see what would happen. You know, there's a lot of value in that. I mean, especially if you're interested in on-site climbing or in going on a trip and trying to climb a lot of things quickly. Um, it's It's such an important thing to develop those skills of of being outside your comfort zone and like dealing you know like keeping your head together and and letting this sometimes letting the fear drive you upward <laughs> yeah <laughs> like well, i'm scared i just got to get to that next bolt whatever it takes you know yeah that's actually a really great way of phrasing it and that's kind of how i like to frame it which is that fear is a signal 
that you are becoming like a better climber, like in that moment, like if you're afraid, if you're nervous, if you're starting to panic, it means that you're pushing the boundary of what you believe you're capable of. Because generally when we're having a fear response, it's actually like a mental perception of a sensation, right? So the sensation comes first and then your perception follows. So you're going to go, I'm comfortable or I'm afraid. And so like if fear is the signal of you becoming a better climber, then that is why going out of the comfort zone is really special. And it's like, I get excited. Like when I'm nervous, when I'm really scared, like I start to like laugh and like get really hyped up because I'm like, yes, yes, this is it. This is the moment I'm getting better at climbing like right now. (laughs) Um, That's cool. I I like that framing. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. See, Alice, what, go ahead. <laughs> I, I was just going to say, Alice, this is exactly what I was talking about. We've been talking for 10 minutes already. We haven't even talked about any of the bullet points on my list. We just rolled right <laughs> into it. This is already great. It's so good to have you here. I'm excited to uh, to talk with you again. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's absolutely a joy to be here. How are you this morning? I mean, I'm good. So I'm off my second round of COVID. The last time we talked, I had COVID, then I got it again. So that was really fun. Since we um, talked last, like in the last three weeks, you've had COVID twice? That is exactly what happened. Yes. <laughs> Damn. That's so, not, it's not supposed to work that way. It, well, I mean, they said it's either the same, the same strain that kind of you can, it can resurface basically. Uh, or I got a different strain, which they're not related. So, Damn. well, I mean, slightly, but yeah, it, it was fun. It's fun. But I actually feel a lot better now. So I'm I'm looking forward to actually climbing this week. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Well, I think, um, I guess first I want to ask, do you have any more thoughts on what we've just been talking about to kind of close the loop on that before we jump into the next thing? Oh man, I could probably do like four hours of just me talking at you like, on those <laughs> on those subjects. Perfect. But that yeah, means I that think... means you're going to be a great podcast guest. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I I just I love that idea, but I think that's kind of the way I like to frame it, just to make it even more interesting. Is I like to tell people that your fear is a signal of you reaching like you're, you're about to reach like your higher self. Mm. Um, so the, the idea of a higher self is kind of like where you surprise yourself, where you do something that you didn't expect to do. And the reason we would go into that place is because we set boundaries for ourselves, like all the time. And we would say that climbs too hard for me, or that's not my style, or I don't feel good today. So I shouldn't, you know, go do that or try that move. So you're setting your own boundary. And if you're feeling the fear response, it means that you're clashing up with that internal boundary. So if you pass through it and you surprise yourself, which is kind of when I talk to people, that's like the thing they love the most. They're like, I love being surprised. I love when I surprise send something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so it's like you're pushing into that higher self which is the self that you sort of don't even know that you are. But if you don't put those boundaries there, if you just like 
look for a space of curiosity. Like, what can I do? Can I do this move? Can I do this climb? Maybe. And so it's like looking for that higher version of yourself, I think is something that's really like exciting. And it kind of makes fear and failure and all of those like scary things, like less intense. Cause you're like, Oh, I, I don't mind those things because I'm just looking for, for my higher self in there. <laughs> mm. Yeah. They're almost in a way it's funny. They almost, it like flips a 180 and those feelings almost become like your North star. You know, it's like, if I'm, if I feel nervous about the thought of trying this climb, I should probably go do it. Cause there's like lots of growth opportunity there. Yeah. That's interesting. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and that kind of does lead into what we were talking about before, which was that idea of putting in expectations on something. So it's almost like the opposite, right? So like you're putting that measure of yourself onto the climb already, which is what an expectation is. So like I have measured myself and I measure myself able to do this or I measure myself deserving to do this. And so then you feel nervous. Mm. Yeah. Okay. We're going to bounce all over because that's, that's just how this is going to go. Um, but I, <laughs> I got, it's interesting that you mentioned Brad Gobright already. And for people that don't know, um, Brad was an amazing rock climber, just a total goofball by all accounts. I've never met Brad, but by all accounts, just like a really delightful human being, great guy really young and tragically died a few years ago um, in a climbing accident, I, I believe down in Mexico. But I actually got a question for you from Ryan, who is a patron of the, the podcast. And Ryan wanted to know, of course, only if you feel comfortable sharing this, but Ryan writes, I met Alice a few times in Red Rocks, great person. We both knew Brad Gobright, her much better than I did. I'd love it if she could share any great stories about their trips or climbing together, anything that comes to mind that maybe the community doesn't know about Brad? Yeah. Oh my gosh. That would make me so excited. Um, I think like one of my favorite stories to tell about Brad was how he was a little bit grumpy, but like kind of a joking kind of grumpy person. And so he would often like say, no to things so here, here's like a funny trip we were doing like a multi-pitch out in red rock actually and we were going up i think like velvet tongue or something like that and i was just following brad basically and he's like uh yeah i don't want you to bring any water or snacks and he's like it's it'll just weigh us down he's like we gotta go really fast and I'm just like, what? How long? <laughs> what? Yeah, like, telling me. How long is this climb? Not, uh, it's not that long. It's maybe like nine pitches. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And, yeah, well, he likes to do everything fast. Like, that was the thing. Like, we were never climbing slowly. And for people listening, if they don't know this, like, Brad, at one point, Brad held the speed record on the nose, like, climbing it in two and a half hours or something. So, yeah. yeah. Yes, very relevant, very relevant. And um, and I'm just looking at him and I'm like, is he joking right now? Like, really? And so I like put snacks like in my in my sweater, like without him knowing, you know, and I just thought it was just like the most hilarious thing. And I was like, of course, I am not going to listen to you, Brad. I'm going to bring snacks and water. What is wrong with me? <laughs> <laughs> so I thought that was 
that was just like a really funny moment where I was kind of laughing at his just extreme passion for climbing. I love it. But then, like, to contrast that, though, on the other hand of things, he was just so interiorly sweet and kind and loyal. And I don't know how many people like saw that side of Brad because he was portrayed really goofy in the media. And he would always say like, doesn't really feel like me. Like, yeah, I like to have fun, but I feel like they really latched on to this persona. And he's like, that doesn't really feel like me, me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. So on the other hand of things, like my car died out of nowhere. And I was with Brad, we were heading to the grail from Vegas. And I knew he was like really psyched to, to Red Point. He had essentially begged me to go there with him and I was psyched. So it's okay. And my car died like dead forever. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God, oh my God, he's going to be so mad. He's going to be so mad at me. So you're meeting so up there. You're not in the same, you're not driving out together in the same car. No, we were there together. We were in the same car. Okay. Okay. And so we're on the side of the road, <laughs> like waiting for a tow truck. And I'm just thinking like Brad's probably trying to hitchhike to get out to the grail. You know, he's like really passionate and he was so kind and understanding. And he's like, you know what? It's going to be okay. We'll get you a new car. And I was like, wow, that was just the complete opposite of how I expected him to react because, you know, climbing was number one you know all he wanted to do was climb so that was one moment where i was like wow he he's just he's a really good friend you know and then after that he proceeded to pick me up and drive me to the crag every single time we climbed together which was two to three times per week at that time like we were basically each other's only partners and he picked me up drove me to the crag brought me home completely out of the way I actually didn't know his address. And when I found out, I was like, oh my gosh, he was driving 30 minutes every day, both ways. And I was like, he, he didn't even mention it. You know, he mm. didn't complain at all. And I was like, wow, that, that was just like this amazing thing that I, he didn't even ask me to, to thank him or pay him gas money. Even he just did it. It, it was just like a really special thing that that he did so that that's kind of like the contrast that that you'll find in brad like no water no no <laughs> but then he'll pick me up every day and go climbing with me so it was a really special relationship i feel like we had that's great thank you for sharing that yeah <laughs> yeah it's really cool to hear that yeah he just seemed like such an amazing guy yeah. <clears throat> well, let's uh, let's back up a little bit. I think it would be relevant to this conversation and kind of setting up some of the other things that we're going to talk about to hear a little bit more about your climbing journey and where you were at as a climber a couple of years ago and how that transitioned and um, how that has led you to the coaching that you do now. I think that's all really relevant for this conversation. I'll just open it up and let you you know, you don't have to give me a short answer. You can, you can share as much as you want about this and I can always ask more questions, but yeah, tell me a little bit about your climbing journey, taking us back before the coaching that you do now. Yeah. My, my climbing journey has been really impactful in my life. You know, as most climbers, like as soon as I started, it, I wasn't super into it right away, but 
once I got into it, it was like, okay, now I'm filtering all of my life decisions through rocks, which sort of doesn't make a lot of sense, I think, to to other people. But yeah, so I was kind of big in the competition climbing, nothing like the World Cups or anything like that, but like my local comps, my uni comps, uh, things like that. And I was really, really enjoying it. Decided to essentially go down to part-time work so that I could focus on my climbing. And I really wanted to be a professional athlete. And I was like, maybe I can, maybe I can do this, you know, super passionate. And I trained really hard and I was living in England at the time. And I left England to basically travel the world to try and like do some hard climbs. And that's essentially like what resulted of that. I feel like having the time and having the space to really dedicate myself like to climbing. I ended up climbing like some of the hardest grades that I had ever done. And I was like so happy about that. And then I came to the States as part of part of that traveling, but you know, coming home as well. And I ended up like climbing my absolute like hardest grade down at Charleston and I had just done another one of my like hardest boulder problems all together. Can you share grades just for context? I'm (laughs) I'm giving you permission to brag about yourself. Yeah. Sometimes it makes me like feel weird. I know. I can see you. I can visibly see you shying away from it. (laughs) Work on that. Right. Um, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I ended up climbing like multiple V10s and... I started out like first V9 within a couple of months. I did multiple V10s and then I did my first V11. And then I also did my first 514 and I did another V11. So I was like raging, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm I'm just loving this, you know, getting the results that I wanted. And then I went to Madagascar and I did like a 13A big wall. Um, it is bolted though, FYI. Um, and all of this was just like, you know, raging within my soul. I was like, I'm, I'm peaking, you know, this is it. Like, I'm going to get even better and all my dreams are going to happen. And basically when I was flying home from Madagascar was when I got the phone call that my dad had had a stroke and essentially like it just, it changed like my, my whole life. Like I, I also was feeling a little bit sick from from the Madagascar trip. We were there for a whole month and we were attempting to shoot a film that I was in charge of while climbing. And basically we were working really hard. We had pretty poor nutrition, partially because of access and partially because I was like, I don't want to spend money. <laughs> so we were like eating, you know, like crackers and just generally not having a lot of vegetables and fruit. And so I had this like really deep kind of exhaustion and I gained like 15 pounds and I just felt like a sloth. Like it was hard to describe other than just having basically no energy. And this was all compiled into the moment when I found out my dad had the stroke. And so I was flying home to Florida to that situation. And it was really challenging. Like I ended up flying home like multiple times over the span of the year staying for like three weeks at a time to help my mom because 
he needed complete 24 hour care. He couldn't be left alone. He couldn't really do anything like for himself. So that was a lot of pressure on her and just kind of the collection of all of those circumstances happening at once really just dumped me into like just a really low motivated place. And I felt very like depressed and kind of just down on life, you know, not having the energy to, to do much of anything. And, uh, I just remember like sort of holding it together, you know, like for my mom. And then I just remember one day my friend called me and this was like maybe three months after the stroke. And he's like, Hey, you know, like, how are you? And I was just like, like, and that was like yeah. the first time that I actually cried after all that had happened. Wow. Um, and it was just a really hard time because I felt like I was at the pinnacle of my climbing and I had probably dedicated, you know, at that point I had been climbing for about eight years and I had essentially given up my career progress to focus on climbing. And I sort of felt like I, I lost everything that I worked hard for. I didn't lose that weight and I wasn't in shape. I felt heavy, which I now know was less of a physical thing and more of a mental thing. Hmm. And um, it was just kind of like, how do I describe it? It's like sort of having a backpack on when you're climbing and that's what it felt like. And it was emotional, like for me, like the emotional weight of everything that I was dealing with was too much for me to climb as well. So I think my relationship with climbing was really unhealthy, like at the time, you know, it was all about the grades. It was all about the success. It was all about the performance. And like, I did find joy in that, but I also had a hard time dealing with failure or with other people's opinions or performance anxiety. So it was like a really, a really kind of dark space. And I would say it honestly took me probably three years to, to get out of that. You know, it was, it was confusing to me what to do. Uh, I knew I wanted to climb still, but I didn't know how to like re-motivate myself. And I didn't know how to have a better relationship with climbing. And, you know, you go to the crag and you sort of have like a bad time because you're just comparing yourself to the past. And mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, my, my relationship to climbing has massively evolved. Um, it definitely took over my whole life and, and still is so much of my life. And the reason I wanted to start coaching to kind of wrap up the story was because of how much I struggled during those years. And I knew that I loved climbing, but I didn't know why it was making me feel so bad. Hmm. And like even climbing with uh, Brad for the first time, was actually around around that time, like right after my dad had the stroke. And I remember telling him about it and he was just like, you know, sympathetic. But at the same time, I think it was hard for him to understand why that affected my climbing. Um, and he's like, but you know, that, that really sucks. And I'm really sorry, but I still have passion for climbing, like no matter what. And I remember talking to him about it and he's like, I'm just always motivated. I, I always love it. <laughs> and 
I actually thought that was one of the standout qualities that made me realize, you know, like, okay, this guy's a professional and I am just this. (laughs) 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 I know it's, it's funny. I mean, I can't, I, like thankfully I, I my dad is healthy i can't relate to the stroke thing but like i i so relate to what you're saying it's just crazy you know for for years i was like i'll do anything i'll do whatever it takes and like now that i live on the road and get to have all these conversations with these amazing athletes and pro climbers and things it's it's been really fascinating to learn like oh maybe not everything that it takes you know like there there's a level of like passion and stoke that is hard for me to relate to with some of these pro climbers that are just out there sending all the time. It's, um, I mean, I don't know if it's talent. It just like, it it might be the thing that sets those people apart, you know, like the rest of us kind of go through these natural ebbs and flows. I think the passion. Yeah. Just the undying burning passion and stoke. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't think all pro climbers have that, but a lot of them do. Yeah. Mm, yeah, you're definitely right. They they don't all have it. I've met all pro climbers, and I can tell you, <laughs> no, no, I'm <laughs> but I mean, I would like to dispel one thing though. Like they aren't always sending, and like mm. I think that idea is really kind of toxic for the average climber because think about it in this way. So if you happen to see a pro climber at the crag and they're sending everything that might be because they are climbing within a far lower window than their maximum. And so their maximum might be so high that they might not have a climb available at that level, or maybe they don't feel like projecting that day. So it's like, just kind of remembering that like, you know, Brad would do that. Like we go to the crag and he would send every single 13 at the crag that day. And so you have to remember, like that's not Brad's top end, right? That's just like his on-site red point day project level. So even though he looks like a mutant compared to the rest of us, he can still climb at a way, way, way higher max. So like, that's something that we kind of forget. I think when we see pro climbers, we're like, oh, they do ascend. And it's like, no, 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 they definitely fall. Everybody falls, everybody fails. Everybody has fear. Everybody gets nervous. Like it's all across the board. You know, the, the idea that it's passion that separates us, I also think is another dangerous idea because then it can feel like, oh, I don't have enough, you know, like mm. I don't, I don't have enough passion. And it's not that there's a solution to that idea, but it's like, well, let's think about your motivation. Like maybe your motivation isn't the same. Mm. So they're passionate because perhaps they just love climbing. Like they love the feeling of touching rocks, moving between holds, getting into their body, you know, pushing themselves physically, pushing themselves fear-wise. Like maybe they they just love that aspect. But if somebody feels like they don't have enough passion, then maybe their motivation is like misaligned with something positive. So it could be like, I want the fame. I want the grades. I want the respect. I want something else, something else that sounds really great, but it's not the climbing itself. Mm. And so like, I think maybe 
sometimes when we see that passion, it's because it comes from a different place, like a place of, I guess, love based versus kind of, I don't know, you could say ego based, but it's not always that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And it's it's interesting. I actually just recorded a follow-up with Jonathan Segrist yesterday. And it'll I'm sure it'll mm-hmm. publish before this does so people can have checked it out. But yeah, we talked about this. Like I asked him, I mean, it's just insane, right? Like this guy's done, I don't know, 430 514s and harder, something like that. And he's done like a th- literally a thousand 513s. Like He's climbed America, you know, he's climbed everything in America. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm just like, are you still as psyched as you are? We were were having a conversation about how many days a week we climb. And I was kind of saying like, it's been really helpful for me to have this podcast to work on because it, it limits me. Like I can only climb three or four days a week, but that actually is amazing for me because I have so much psych and I I want to climb when I go climbing, you know, like I'm really excited about it. And so I asked him like, do you still feel as stoked as you used to, to go climbing? And he said he does. But what was really interesting is that he's just learned for himself that, you know, if he is starting to feel that motivation or that psych or that passion kind of dwindle, he just knows he's learned over all these years. I just need to hop in my truck and go somewhere new. You know, Mm -hmm. that's his method. And like so many people listening to this don't have the freedom to do that. I mean, that's like the amazing gift of being a professional climber. And it can be way harder to pivot to something that will refresh that motivation when you're stuck being a weekend warrior at the same crag that you've been climbing at for a decade, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, think smaller. Like think within the constraints that you have how can you pivot into something that feels fun right now? Mm. So for example, like I'm feeling a little funky from the COVID recovery. And I was like, okay, well, what am I kind of like psyched to do right now? And I'm like, well, I feel like I could be psyched to do a minimal amount of training, but maybe not really climb outside. That feels like a lot, you know, and I want to make sure I recover. So I'm like, okay, what can I do? I think I'm psyched to, you know, maybe hangboard or pull-ups, or maybe I could do like some yoga. So it's like just pivoting because like all of those things can contribute to becoming a better climber, especially since I haven't hangboarded for probably six months. So I know that's something that I will have immediate growth in, Mm. which can also be a re-motivator. So if there's something that you haven't done for a while or that you don't regularly do, sometimes by introducing like a new challenge, that can be like reinvigorating for people. Um, you could also try climbing like with somebody regularly. And that alone can be a re-motivator because, you know, you're going to do more as long as you don't talk too much <laughs> <laughs> um, with that person as opposed to what you might do alone. And I know sometimes people do say like, oh, I have trouble finding partners. Uh, so then you could think of like just trying something different. So if your gym has boulder and ropes, maybe you could switch something like as simple as that, or maybe you're just over it. Okay. Well then go do some like high intensity training for a while. If your body can sustain that level of activity, you know, just like maybe keep hangboarding. So you don't feel like your fingers are are getting weaker or something like that. So it's just like pivoting, like using whatever resources you have. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm So I'm talking to you here in Estes Park. 
and I'm doing this this training block right now. And it's been kind of hot and Upper Cass Canyon is closed because this rock slide. And that's where I was really motivated to climb. And my pivot has just been to like climb on the moonboard a lot. And it's funny, like I'm psyched. I'm really psyched on the moonboard. And I feel a little weird about that. Like I'm in this amazing place. There's all these amazing climbs. Like there's so much I could be out there trying to do. So many boulders I could be trying to send, sport climbing around here, trad climbing, like everything. But I just want a moonboard. And um, I kind of fought it for a while, you know, like, (laughs) like, what am I doing? I like live on the road. I should be rock climbing. But um, I don't know. Finally, I kind of let go of that. Like, no, this, this feels like, where my motivation is right now. And it's been great. You know, it's, it's just, yeah, logistically it's easier. I feel like my sessions are higher quality. It's like definitely attacking a weakness of mine. That's really helpful. Um, it's fun, you know, even when it's not because <laughs> the moon board is gnarly. Um, it's so fun though. Addictive. It's, yeah, it's addictive. It's, you know, I'm like, oh my God, I did three climbs on the yellow hold set. Wow. Okay. This is, this is great. <laughs> Life goals. Life goals. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I always had, like when I lived in Bend and climbed at Smith Rock a lot, I always had that as like a natural part of my yearly rhythm you know i had summers Mm -hmm. like summers Mm -hmm. were just terrible out there and and some of my friends would go climb all summer and i'm like what the hell are you guys doing you know i just needed a break and i would just Mm -hmm. train inside for the summer and that always felt like an important pivot like an important mental recharge for me Um, and now that i live on the road i'm I'm learning like i think i still need that and i need to Mm -hmm. just be a little bit more intentional about carving that time out yeah Yeah, absolutely. And that was something I really struggled with when I did take that couple of years off for climbing, um, where I was climbing like full time. So I mean, you know, I was going to work and then the next day I was climbing and then I was going to work and the next day I was climbing and I wasn't working a lot at the time, you know, maybe like two days. What were you doing for your career at that time? So I was working in marketing for a company that makes sustainable clothes based out of the UK. So when I moved away from the UK, I just stayed remote for this company for about, I worked for them for five to six years. Okay. How did yeah, you, like, how did you end up going to the, you, I assume you were born in the States. Yeah. So it was honestly so impulsive sort of I had done a study abroad my first year of college because I really hated college (laughs) okay um I was raised really religiously and I was very nervous like leaving that bubble because I didn't know much about the world I guess you could say but I didn't know that at the time obviously um and I went to college and found it really stressful I just felt like I, it was so different. And so I immediately was like, I want to get out of here. So I signed up for the study abroad in London and there I met a instructor who advised me for three years later, four years later to apply to master's programs in the UK. And I did, and it was the only place I got in. (laughs) So I was kind of like, well, I guess we're doing this. So nice. let's let's do this. And I I moved there and I lived there for six years. So wow, cool. Okay, yeah. The first place I sport climbed was this place called Portland in the south of the UK. And I remember I was probably bouldering like B five at the time. And I remember getting on probably what is the equivalent of a five nine, and just 
feeling like I was going to die. I was like, this <laughs> is so scary. How am I ever going to rope climb? And I was like, wow, that it was traumatizing me that first. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was pretty funny. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had a similar. I I spent like four or five years bouldering before sport climbing, so I had a similar transition. Like I remember, I think my first lead was like a five seven, and I was like all nervous. And my friend, <laughs> I think it was Cody, maybe Corey or Cody. I haven't talked to this guy in twelve years, but um, but yeah, he was just like, dude. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I probably climbed like V seven or eight at the time. He's like, you're gonna be okay, just don't freak the fuck out you're gonna be fine you know it's five seven anyway yeah yeah i mean that transition is really tough for some people i think whatever you do the most is what you're going to be the most comfortable in and so sometimes you even hear trad climbers getting scared on sport climbing and i'm like that to me is wild yeah but then when they explain it to me they're like well but when i'm trad climbing i can put a piece when i feel nervous yeah and he's like, the bolts are where the bolts are. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great point. Never thought of that. Totally. Yeah. 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 It's really interesting how people's fears are are a little subjective. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I had a Lizzie Van Patten. My friend Lizzie uh, told me a very similar thing because she she and I lived to get uh, not together together, but like we, we both lived in Bend at the same time and she was climbing at Smith and um you know, she's climbed a lot in the creek and she would climb in the gorge and things there. And she started kind of branching out into the sport climbing and, you know, Smith is intimidating and it's run out and there's these big stretches between bolts. And, you know, she's like, because I was confused too. I was like, what are you talking about? You know, I'm terrified when I go trad climbing. And she's like, well, the bolts are three times further apart than where I usually place my gear, you know, and I don't have a choice. And yeah, yeah, I'd never thought about that before she told me that, but it made perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's super crazy, right? Okay, so let's bring this back. So you, um, <laughs> first off, I, I had this question. When okay. was this? When when was your dad's stroke? Give us a timeline. Yeah, line. sure. So it was in 2018. We're coming up on the four-year mark. Mm. And yeah, like from that point forward, like it really did change. It changed my whole life. Uh, and it absolutely changed my climbing life. Um It sort of spiraled me into the conversation I think a lot of people have as they either age or just like in general or might have an injury, which is, can I feel good about myself? Can I have an identity if I can't climb anymore or if climbing can't be a priority for me anymore or if I can't stay in shape anymore? Mm. Like, who am I? You know, I sort of had this like really funny conversation with myself, which was like, I don't own any clothes that aren't like outdoor clothes. <laughs> and I was like, I was like thinking like, I want to go to this restaurant, you know, not climbing that much. And I'm like, oh yeah, I can wear like my Patagonia, uh, you know, zip up and my wrap sweater. <laughs> and, like, and I'm just like, okay. <laughs> Uh, who am I if I stop this? You know, am I going to have to get rid of all these clothes? Like, what what is going on here? So I sort of had this identity crisis, and it also made me feel like, oh, I probably need a career now because all I've done is climb up to this point. And so I think it, it really made me question a lot of things. Like, 
what am I going to do if I can't do this anymore? You know, what am I going to do if I never physically recover from this exhaustion? Because it did take me about nine months. Wow. Yeah. So it was like, what's going on? You know, and I was just very confused. And, you know, one of the signs of depression is like losing the passion for things that you used to love. And that does tie into motivation a lot. I think people tend to exhaust themselves climbing, and I did too, because they feel like they have to, or they feel like if I don't do this, I won't have any friends, or I won't even know what to do with myself. Like, what will I do in my evenings? What will I do on my weekends? Like, who am I outside of climbing? And sometimes people can't answer that. And I think that's really scary. So a lot of people like keep going, even though they're not motivated to, which was absolutely what I was doing. So mm. sort of running myself like into the ground and confronting those things is hard. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I don't want to derail you, but I, I, I just want to for people listening just to make them, you know, if anyone's resonating with this, I want to share that I resonate with it too. And I mean, that was the hardest part of going through an eating disorder was like, or that's really why I, I fell into an eating disorder was that I had this identity that, that wasn't so much wrapped around the grade that I climbed, but it was more like what I was willing to do for climbing, you know, mm -hmm. like I'll do whatever it takes. That was kind of like my self-identity. And then, um, you know, I pushed it too, too far and burned out and like physiologically like burned out, like, you know, developed red S and didn't have any energy. And then the weight started coming back on and I just felt like a fucking failure. And I was, I was struggling with that. Like, who am I if I'm not this person that can maintain this control, you know, cause I, I just felt it slipping away. Like I can't do this anymore. So what does that make me, you know, who am I? And then it's really tempting. I know one thing I want to talk to you about is depression and anxiety as symptoms and not as us. You know, they're not like those things that we experience are not us and they're not our identity. Um, but when you're going through that for the first time or for the 10th time or whatever, and you feel this identity that you want to have slip away, it's really tempting to replace it with something like that. You know, like for me, it was like, okay, so I'm clearly not this stoked climber that's willing to do anything because I can't keep my shit together as far as eating goes and I'm gaining weight. So I guess my identity is just like a slob, you know, like a, a pathetic loser. Like seriously, I mean, that's where my head went, you know? And like, I knew yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think I knew on some level, like, no, I just like screwed up and now my body's like gonna take time to kind of renormalize and that's just a process. But it's so disorienting. It's so disorienting. And, and without that, you know, high performer identity, it's like your brain just latches on to, to whatever's there. Mm. And it, it, yeah, um, I mean that, yeah, like rediscovering who I was and creating a new identity that I feel happy and proud of and, and like comfortable with has taken years, you know? And, and it's it's taken getting physically healthier. It's It's taken... Um, finding other things that I can put energy into, putting my energy outward into other people, you know, instead of mm -hmm. just ruminating mm -hmm. on myself and my own climbing. Anyway, I'm talking too much. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I can totally relate to that. It's, it's really interesting. 
I mean, those are really, really important things that you shared, though, in the sense of like how you kind of found your way out of that. And just that reattachment to a new identity, like that is absolutely how I think a lot of people that have mental health issues feel like they will often, you know, whether it's around climbing or otherwise, that is absolutely something that that I went through and someone had to coach me out of that. Like Hmm. you are depressed, you aren't depressed forever. Like you aren't a depressed person you know, you can actually heal yourself, which is essentially what I tried to do because I was absolutely terrified of prescriptions. I had done a lot of reading about basically the fact that a lot of people take them, yet depression statistically has not gone down in our country. Prescriptions just go up. Mm. And so also when I met a lot of people through that journey, they would tell me, yeah, I've been on this med for 30 years. And I'm just like, what? And they're like, yeah, I can't get off of it. Mm. So it's not, I don't think I have the scientific background to say whether it's addictive or not, but I think that basically people become attached to it thinking that they can't be happy on their own. So they start to use it every day and they're like, I can never go off it. And so I was looking for a solution that wasn't that. And this was um, to help me in life, but also to help me in in climbing. And part of that was learning how to detach yourself from that identity. Like, yes, I have anxiety. Yes, I get depressed. So does everyone on the planet. And some people who have clinical depression get depressed more often. Yes, the chemistry in your brain, it, like chemical imbalance thing, it's a rumor. So it's not actually backed in science. And Whoa, really? I didn't, this is news to me actually. Yes, and I looked into this because I was overly fascinated with my own healing as most people who suffer are. And so, yeah, like the, the idea of a chemical imbalance is not factual. It's a story that latched on and people like it because it's simple and they can understand it. Um, they probably help sell a lot of drugs too. Yes. Yes. And it's funny because I actually encountered physicians who would say that to me and I'm like, huh, this is really interesting because there's a lot of doctors out there who openly say that this isn't factual. So somewhere along the line, these physicians are, or counselors, therapists, whatever, are being given that information. So it was very empowering when I came across this neuroscientist. Her name is Dr. Caroline Leaf, and I absolutely love her. And she is a huge proprietor of this message, like letting people know that they are empowered to heal their own brain. And that's basically what I try to do with people around their climbing in the same idea, but in a way like more shrunken, easier, controlled environment where they basically learn to detach their identity from whatever they're dealing with. So like, oh, I'm, I'm scared at bouldering or I'm a scared boulderer. And it's like, no, you aren't. Sometimes you get scared while bouldering but you aren't a scared boulder every single time you go bouldering, you know, that isn't like who you are. And within every single person, 
we have the capacity to be the person we want to be and also to be the person we're scared of. So it's like, instead of focusing on the person that we're scared of, we focus on being the trying to be the person we want to be. And over time, the way that your brain works is it essentially wants to do whatever is most efficient. So whatever you do regularly, uh, it's going to fall into a pattern of making that easier. So for example, have you ever like typed something on a computer and you didn't even look at the keys and you're like, wow, I don't even know how I did that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's, it's so, a, it is a miracle. It's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So basically there's like four types of memory within the brain and over time, your motor memory goes into something that is basically something that you don't have to think about. It's unconscious. And so if we think about that in terms of climbing or in terms of like thought and behavior patterns, like this is why habits are so hard to change is because once they have converted into a different type of memory, um, it's really hard to break that. So it's like, you have to start intervening. Um, and so in terms of like applying it to how we might work through these states of depression, I was like, okay, I know that I have a really dark perspective around my identity, around who I am, around my climbing. What do I do about that? And honestly, journaling has been one of the most helpful things that I feel the reason that it's helpful is because sometimes we have a lot of mind stuff and we don't do a lot with our body, which is one of the most like healing things we can do. So if you're getting stuck in the mind, which is like thoughts, I am this, I am that, I am bad, I'm good. We want to get back into our body, right? Because the body has inherent value no matter what. Like your body is here. It's a unit. It's a gift. It's a gift to be healthy. Oh my gosh. And like, it's a gift to be an athlete. Holy crap. And so if we can start thinking and valuing our body and being like, okay, what can my body do for me right now to get me out of this like headspace? You can do lots of like really simple things to break those thought patterns. And um, sometimes you can do like really simple movement. There's a lot of really great research coming out about yoga. And I think sometimes yoga can be overwhelming for people, like the idea of yoga. So we could just call it mindful stretching. You can do whatever kind of stretches you want. Just the idea is to focus on what your body is doing as opposed to be distracted. And sometimes listening to the yoga instructor's cues can keep you where you are mentally. So you're like listening to the directions or you're focusing on your breath. And so those things are what ground you. You can totally do that with like regular stretches. And like in terms of changing your entire, like the way your brain works so that you feel like less like a depressed person is you have to figure out like, what is it that you believe about yourself? And like, I did this exercise where you essentially, and I'm happy to share it, like you essentially think of the three biggest thoughts that you have about yourself or your climbing that are really holding you back. So for me, the, the biggest one that I had at the time was I'm not capable. And like, for me, that meant like, I'm not capable of getting my life together. I'm not capable of 
finding a career path. Like I'm not capable of climbing whatever I want to climb again, or for at the time becoming a pro climber, which still hasn't happened, but I've totally let go of that idea and I feel free from it now. And so you kind of like try and examine like, where did that come from? Like, what are the emotions that I feel based on this thought? Well, I feel depressed. I feel frustrated. I feel sad. I feel like a loser, you know? And then like, what are the actions that I'm taking that reflect into that belief? Well, I might avoid climbing with my stronger friends. I might not even go to the gym at all. I might just sort of like watch more TV instead of climb. I might lose motivation to train. And then if we try and think of like where those thoughts came from, okay, like, well, it probably came from me putting pressure on myself to associate success with everything that I do. You know, it's like, that's a really hard belief that we all work on, I think that is really tough in our society right now, like this association that everything we do has to be successful. Mm. And if you look at flow research in psychology, basically the value of connecting flow with happiness is being satisfied with whatever you're doing for the sake of doing it, as opposed to for a results-based mindset. And so if we're gonna draw all of this like information back to climbing, then we're going to think about while I'm climbing, am I valuing the climbing experience while it's happening? Or am I only thinking about what happens if I do or don't send? Mm. You know? yeah. So, I mean, I think I probably just talked in circles right then because I kind of <laughs> like tunnel of information that's yeah. being out of me. No, this is, this is all great. Um, this is all great. And I have, I have lots of questions, thoughts, and, and we have so much to talk about. Um, I want to take us back like, like five minutes to your comment about brain chemistry. And I, cause I just want to kind of share what I'm hearing back to you and see if I'm getting this right. Cause you know, every human is so, is unique. I'm sure that everyone has their own unique genetic predisposition for whatever their brain chemistry is. But what I hear you saying is like, because here's what, here's what I'm thinking right now. Like if someone's very, very depressed, clinically depressed, I'm guessing that their brain chemistry in that moment would look different from someone who's very content and happy. But what I hear you saying is like, we don't have to have a closed fixed mindset around that, that, you know, you're not just born with whatever brain chemistry that you have. And you're like out of luck. If you have depression, you can change it. We have agency. We can, we can make... Uh, behavioral changes in our lives and our brain chemistry will follow what we're doing with our body, um, what identity we're telling ourselves or what story we're telling ourselves in our head and the identity that we have and, you know, practicing being a bold boulderer instead of telling ourselves all the time that we're just a scared boulderer and there's nothing we can do about it. Am I getting all that right? Yeah, well, I think like getting away from the idea of of chemistry in general is probably good. So I think what you're thinking about in terms of changing the way that you might view the world is, I'm sure you've heard about it before, but people are just loving this idea of neuroplasticity, which is essentially changing the connections in our brain with sent messages to the nervous system, which would have basically a result, whether it's behavior, movement, etc. Um, so that is changeable. 
And I, I wouldn't say that I have enough like neuroscience training to really comment on the ways in which depression, like depressed people are different from, I guess, what you would say the average. But there are some mental health um, diagnoses that do have structural changes within the brain. So for example, they might have more like gray or white matter. Um, so that is interesting to note but I think that what we're really referring to is like a freedom from that idea that someone needs medication to fix them mm. um, because that is not true. And so like when we're thinking about neuroplasticity in the brain, it's like changing the networks. So like when we were talking about typing on the computer fast, so the more connections you make to do that action, the better you're going to be at it. And so when we're talking about movement, that's proprioception. So like the more that you do it, the better you are at that movement. So if we think about the more that you think a negative thought, the more that you think I'm a loser, the more quickly your brain is going to give you that suggestion mm. when something bad happens. And so what we want to do is try and create better suggestions that are going to come up more often. And then you're going to start to believe them. And like the reason that, so, I mean, more than 30 years of neuroscience research not done by me has been kind of the resource of this empowerment that I feel, which I like to teach to people in a really simple way, you know, and like it absolutely worked on me. Like it completely worked on me. Like I, one thing that, that can be really empowering is, is kind of like when you're going to the climb and you're setting those limits before you actually climb on this, like, Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do this or this is too hard for me. So we do the same thing like in our life. So like my me saying like, I'm not capable, that's a full stop, right? That's a fence that you can't get past. But if you can change that belief into, I can learn how to do things that are hard for me. Mm. So like, that's a very different idea that summarizes a similar kind of core thought, like a core theme. Yeah, that's so, like a, a reframe of that same theme. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And like, um, it's funny because I sometimes read these funny books about like success. And there's one that talks about the idea of auto-suggestion, which is where you essentially do that. So you create, you take something that's an insecurity or belief about yourself. So like, I am a depressed person. And then you change it into something that you can emotionally attach to, like physically, energetically believe. And so like, I might take that into, I'm depressed right now, but I'm working every day to improve my mental health. You know, and so like, yeah, I totally believe that. Like, that's really easy to believe. Like sometimes people go too far though, because they, they'll go from I'm depressed, to I'm happy. And then they're like, but I'm not happy. Like I can't last <laughs> this on This doesn't that. work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. So it's like you find that, you find something that you can believe that you're emotionally and energetically connected to. And then you move that space. And we will be right back. 
This episode is brought to you by Petzl. Today, I want to talk about harnesses. When it comes to harnesses, comfort can mean a lot of different things. Sometimes you want a harness for hard red points or light and fast adventures. And on other days, you might need something for long belays and multiple repels. There's no such thing as a perfect harness. The perfect harness is the one that's perfect for you. And you probably do a lot of different stuff. That's why Petzl builds different harnesses for gym climbing, cragging, and alpine adventures using four unique constructions. Frame construction has the traditional fit and comfort levels and safety features climbers are used to. Endo frame construction provides flexibility and cushion. Fuse frame construction is streamlined yet supportive and wireframe construction harnesses are breathable and ultra lightweight. So whether you want lightweight performance or plush comfort, Petzl Harnesses have you covered. To learn more about Petzl Harnesses, visit your local retailer or Petzl's website at petzl.com. Again, you can learn more and shop for Petzl Harnesses at your local climbing shop or online at petzl.com. Experience the difference with Petzl. All right, back to the show. Well, it's, it's interesting because the, the I am happy example, I mean, versus what you said before, like I am someone who is capable of learning how to do things that are hard for me. However, it was that you phrased it. I love that. That's so simple. I mean, that's so similar to what I've talked about and what I've heard so many others talk about in climbing, right? It's, it's going back to focusing on process over outcome. Like I am happy is an outcome, but I am capable of learning things is an ongoing process that can happen every day. And it's not linear, just like working on a route is a process that's not linear, you know? Um, yeah. Everything relates back to climbing. Yeah. I mean, I, it's like, like I told you before, like the whole universe is a climbing metaphor. <laughs> and the reason I like that is because climbing, um, Sometimes I, I, I do get a little like touchy because sometimes people like to devalue climbing um, in the sense like, oh, it's just like this random hobby, you know, it doesn't mean anything. And the idea of connecting with flow and also using climbing as a space to practice really hard things that are challenging for us in life, there's a lot of value in that. So like, I can master my mind while I'm climbing. I'm still working on that in in life, but at least I know and I found this like self-confidence and self-trust in the climbing space that can now uplift me so that in my normal life I can handle things better. Cause you know, on a climb, for example, if I make a mistake, I know that I have the skill and the ability to correct that mistake. And I actually coach myself through that sometimes while I'm climbing. So I might be on sighting or I might be red pointing and I make a mistake. So the first thing that I would do is not move. So I'm like, okay, you made a mistake. Okay. We have like three seconds. Just hold yourself where you are and then look around. Like, what do you see? What's available? What options do you have? And then like problem solve on the go rather than like, oh, made a mistake coming off, you know, I'll just let go. Um, it's really funny because I always tell people it's really fascinating to look at people uh, when they're climbing because I would say like most of the time people just let go. Like they don't fall off. They let go. They've mm. decided that something isn't right. Something doesn't feel right. They they got the movement wrong, whatever it is. And so it's like 
that problem solving mentality, I think, helped me find that belief, like within my life, like, okay, something's gone wrong. Okay, you can problem solve. You know, look around, what options do you have? What can you do? Rather than like trying to get back to a space of perfection, it's like, well, the mistakes made. We mm. can't go backwards. Mm-hmm. Can't let go in life. You could go lay down in your bed, I guess, which <laughs> I did a lot to try and handle. But the thing is, eventually you got to pull back those covers and you're still back in your life. So, mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My gosh, you keep saying so many great things. I, I, we could go off in all these different directions. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Maybe no, it's great. It's great. I, I'm like, well, part of how my brain works is I go like to a million different subjects at once and connect everything somehow into some grand. Scheme. I love it. I mean, it's it works on. I think it works in a long form podcast format, which is why I love doing this. But no, I, I love. I just want to touch on this, and then I want to um, go back to. Uh, your transition, like feeling depressed and kind of losing your climbing identity and, and how you turn that around. I think it'd be interesting to hear about mm-hmm. what you actually did. Um, but before sure. before that, just real quickly, I love what you said about climbing, how people diminish it. And I, it, I resonate with that a lot because I used to do that a lot. Like I used to have guilt around spending so much time and feeling so obsessed with this selfish thing you know i'm using air quotes there like climbing's not serving anyone else it's really self-focused and blah 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 and it's not doing anything good for society and on the surface that's true but what i've what i can see now after like 15 years of making this thing at the center of my life it's like it's bullshit like it's it's brought me everything in my life it's you know, all my closest friends, my community, and now like this work that I do that feels really truly meaningful to me and being able to share people's stories and have conversations like this that I'm sure is going to be really helpful for lots of people listening. Like that all came from climbing. So how, how, like, it's so unfair to just diminish it and distill it down to this, you know, oversimplified phrase, like climbing selfish, you know, it's, it's so much more than that. And I think, humans are just weird. Like now that we, so many of us are fortunate enough to have our physical needs met and we can buy groceries and we have, you know, roofs over our head and stuff. Like we need purpose. And we find that in so many weird ways, you know, like Mm -hmm. the things that people spend their time doing. If you zoom out and look at our society, it's just totally bizarre. The things that we latch onto and Climbing in a way seems a lot less arbitrary and bizarre than lots of other options, but it doesn't even matter. Like if it if it's giving you life and joy and leading, it's just part like a core part of, or it can be a core part of your human existence, you know, and it can be like, for me, it's the vehicle through which I've learned so many important life lessons. And those translate to my relationships, to, to my work, to everything. So I, I just, yeah, I just wanted to say that. I, I love that you shared that and I totally resonate with it. But yeah, yeah. I want to, um, I want to hear more about, you know, you said I'm not capable. That was like one of your deeper beliefs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we got stuck on that one. We talked about it for a while. I'm curious, mm-hmm. did you have, did you have other ones that you identified at the time or have been able to identify in hindsight when you were in that dark place? And then what did you do? Like, how did you start to change those beliefs? I'd love to hear more about journaling. You mentioned that. I'd love to hear more about getting into your body. But yeah, let's start with the beliefs and then what you actually did to change those. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it was really hard. And there's sort of like a three, three step process to dealing with things like that, which is first of all, building your awareness. So like when I discovered that about myself, I then looked for those spaces where I was acting upon it or having emotions based on that. And so just like gaining awareness of that and being like, how often am I playing into this? Like, how often am I feeding this sort of, I guess, thing inside? This, um, this I'm not capable belief thing? Is that what you mean? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which tied completely into my depression. And I think a lot of depressed people may share that specific belief actually. Um, because a lot of times when you're depressed, you don't have, or you don't feel that you have autonomy. So like building that kind of self-trust and like thought that you could actually help yourself out of a, a mental space, whether in climbing or, or in life. And so you build that awareness and then, then you try to intervene, right? So you build the awareness and then you try to intervene with like a new, a new belief. So you might just like notice something and then basically like tell it to stop. Like I used to do that all the time. Like if I had like a negative thought, I'd be like, no, stop. And I would just kind of like talk to myself and like, so it's really hard, you know, because you're really latched to it. And then I also have, like, these funny little things where they have, like, phrases. So um, she's, Alice is showing me a paper card that says, what, daily meditation? Is that what it says on it? Uh, no, it actually says I have plenty of time. Well, on the bottom I there. Have, I have a limiting belief uh, based around time and productivity, which I think a lot of people share. Yeah. And... So like I would have these messages and I would read them all the time, like expose yourself to, to this new idea and just read it all the time. And so you would, you could replace it with that new idea. So if you notice it and I guide people to do this in climbing as well. So like if you are nervous and you're like, Oh, this hold sucks or something like that, you might intercept that with a new thought and be like, this hold is great. And sometimes it feels crazy. You're like, what? No, like, that's not true. <laughs> but then like over time, your brain will be like, yeah, this hold is great. You know, like it will latch on. And it's really interesting how we can sort of create that space within ourselves. And like I said, it's, it's generally better with the life stuff that you have something you can energetically believe. Like if you don't believe the hold is good, but you're just saying it to yourself, that's like a, a kind of a different, way of applying that but if we're talking about core beliefs we definitely want it to be something that you can emotionally and energetically attach to so let's take that example of i have plenty of time because um i feel like <laughs> i need that i need that paper card oh, no. sitting on my desk you know for myself um so <laughs> what's that i'll send you one <laughs> <laughs> perfect um what, what would it look like to energetically attach to that new idea so when I say that, just to break it down, um, it has to be something that you believe. So if you don't think that you have plenty of time, you probably need to rewrite that belief so that you can believe it. Um, so you don't want to force anything. And so that's where you want to connect with your body. Uh, do, what does my body feel 
like when I read this sentence, does it make me feel like, mm, no, 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 that's, I don't believe that, you know, or am I like, yeah, yeah, like, yeah, I do have plenty of time. I do, you know, it's like, it's a different kind of space. So maybe for you, you could be like, when I set three tasks for myself, I can always get them done, you know, mm. or I can get them done most of the time. Or maybe you just say one task, like, you know, it has to be like believable. So you can think about that in terms of yourself. Like you have to write your own. I can't write them for you. Mm. Got it. So plenty of, <laughs> plenty of time is my like long-term goal and I can kind of stair step my way there, you know, through maybe first saying like, yeah, when I have like one priority per day, I always get them done. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Okay. That's interesting. Hmm. Or like, I think one that I have for myself, um, which by the way, I've been reading a lot about flow state, which is connected to what we're talking about. And it does connect to productivity because when I set clear goals for myself, clear, actionable tasks, I, can get them done more quickly. So like that is a fun kind of way of relieving that panic. And so when it's just all so connected because we're just fighting against our, our brains a lot of the time. So that's why I love connecting it to climbing because I think when you bring in the climbing metaphors, people can like understand it better and feel like, oh yeah, like I feel that. Like I understand that. And so, like, if you were to think about that in terms of flow, then you want to have, like, a clear goal. So, like, climbing is easy because you have a clear goal. I want to send. Or maybe your goal is I want to do that move better. Or, like, I want to get to the third bolt. Or whatever your goal is, like, I want my movement to be more efficient. Or I want to use less adjustments. So like with work and productivity, if you set yourself a clear and smaller goal, then you can get into that concentrated state more easily. And like, I struggle with this all the time. So I think that connection with flow state has really helped me like, oh, like, why is it so easy with climbing? And like, because it's so simple. So like, how do I simplify my work tasks so that they're so much smaller that I can get into that like flow? Do you have an example of that? Yes. <laughs> so, for example, I was, you know, marketing the social media stuff. I have social media accounts. So you got to go on them. A lot of, there's a lot of posting, right? It's a lot of effort. And so when I look at my to-do list and it says social media calendar for the next month, I like have a little panic. <laughs> mm. And my nervous system is like, help <laughs> <laughs> and so then i read my little card i have plenty of time <laughs> i have plenty of time and then i'm like how can i make this smaller okay why don't we go and make three posts each into tasks so i have one task that's three posts another task is three posts another task is three posts right so we're taking something big or making it smaller but it's the same thing and then I would put that on my calendar so that I'm like, okay, for the next two hours, I'm making three posts or I don't know how fast you make posts, but I'm kind of slow. So, oh my God, I'm way slower than that. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing great. I had to hire somebody to do this for me, Alice. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's really funny because I was like, wow, his posts are so good. Like, they're so fresh, no? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's all a lie. No, that's Stevie, man. I mean, I, I like... Uh, I review them um, and make sure that like I feel good about everything that's going out. Um, but yeah, I mean Stevie's the 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 whiz behind the Nugget Instagram. Yep. Nice, nice. She's awesome. Yeah. So like making, I love that. Right. I would love that too. I kind of want someone to help me. Um, but like breaking breaking something into into a smaller a smaller thing. And that can be really helpful or you can delegate, <laughs> mm. which sounds like you've already done. So like that's, yeah. Yeah. With, with, with that I have, but no, it's, it's interesting. Like as you're describing this, um, this, this process, like I have like a perfect example that just popped into my mind where the story I tell myself each and every week is like, I have to put out a fucking awesome podcast on Monday, you know? And that's a really big, scary thought, you know, and it's not true. Like I, it, it's just funny. Cause like, I've already recorded the conversation, that part of it's done. And ah. I, I'm learning, like I'm realizing and I've actually been kind of working on this already, but this is really uh, relevant and helpful for me right now to, he to hear you talk about this. Cause you know, if I break it down and say like, no, I just have to edit it to clean it up a little bit. And then I just have to record an intro that tells people why I was so excited to talk to this awesome human. And then I just have to make the show notes page and then upload the thing to the internet. That's it. It's like four or five steps. When you break them down and look at them individually, none of them are this big, scary thing that have this, um, like none of them have the, uh, the weight uh, the emotional like weight attached to it that like when I when I think of like I have to put out an awesome podcast on Monday I mean there's like there's so much insecurity that comes up there you know what are people gonna think like are people gonna like it is everyone gonna stop listening to this podcast what is that gonna mean for like my livelihood you know it's easy to just kind of spiral with with yeah. that and feel really overwhelmed even though I know like I've been doing enough of these. It's just like, no, just try to put out the best conversation you can on Monday. And if people get something out of it, that's a win. That's great. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And oh my gosh, like, I love that you brought this up because it reminds me of what I mean. Um, <laughs> like, you just like, look so mischievous. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's bring it back to climbing. Um, Cause it's just so, so useful to connect these things. Like think about, Oh my gosh, like there is so much emotional weight in everything that you just said, like in that podcast, which like when you break it down, it's just a series of tasks that you need to do. And so it's like, wow, no wonder it feels hard to put that podcast out. You know, there's a lot of like emotional weight and like insecurities and you know, need for some kind of validation or, or success or whatever it is. And so like, think about that in that people put that into their climbing, like how we were talking about before, Totally. like, oh my gosh, like this route. And that was actually one of the things that I struggled with the most, like after, um, everything that happened was like trying to get back to where I was. Right. And like, oh my God, like this climb means that if I don't do this, I'm still a failure. Like I'm still a loser. I'll still never become 
what I want to become, like, if I fall on this climb. And it's like, holy crap, that's a lot to put into anything, right? When we start to take something away from what it is, and we start to put, like, our emotional background on it, and I think that's, like, something that can be really helpful in all aspects of life, is remembering that climb is still just a climb. Like that podcast probably shines on its own because of the guest, mm-hmm. you know, like they already like, it's just a space for you to highlight whoever was talking that day, right? You could probably like not even edit the thing. Totally. Be, like, <laughs> exactly. Fine. Exactly. <laughs> you know, like it would be fine. And you know what, actually, this is a, a trick that some people use to get away from perfectionism which is don't edit a podcast Mm. just do it put it out there i like get i i just got like (laughs) nervous in my i like felt that in my body when you said that i just like tensed up and was like ah (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's like exposure therapy you know you know what I love this. I love this. And um, and yeah, sorry. I I didn't mean to interrupt, but I did that. Like, no, this was actually, you're completely right because this was actually like a turning point for me was uh, two, a year and a half ago, I put out an episode with Derek Kroll and we recorded it right around Thanksgiving and he passed away the day after Christmas. And I put it out like right after the new year. It was heartbreaking. And it just was like this three hour memory of Derek, you know, and it was like, it was almost the only thing that we had left of him. And I couldn't bring myself to edit it like not a second of it. I tried, I tried to edit it. I spent like hours trying to edit it. And I was like, what do I cut out? I I mean, this is like his laugh. Like I can't cut out his laugh. What about his awkward pause? Like, no, that's like, what about his stammer? Like, no, I loved it when he, you know, and so I couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. And so I just put out this completely unedited podcast. And I think, you know, because it was him and it was his memory, people loved it, but it just from then on just gave me permission. I was like, oh, people still listen. People still loved it. And it was like maybe even more precious because it was this unedited, like just real glimpse of who who this human was. So yeah, it's probably time to do that again. Um, Yeah. <laughs> Let go I mean, of a couple more like layers of, of perfectionism. Yeah, it's it's really scary. It, it inhibits us in a lot of ways, like in, in life. And I think especially especially within climbing, you know, like feeling like you're not good enough or maybe you climb something a little sloppy and someone might even send lower off and then immediately start to talk about how sloppy they were. And it's just like this idea of just being so hard on ourselves all the time. It's really difficult to get away, away from that. And like just opening the floodgates for failure, I think can be really freeing. And I actually think that's one of the things that made a big, big impact on my climbing, like finally giving myself the freedom to fail, to fall, to look stupid, to do whatever. And part of that was that exposure therapy, like falling in front of people whose opinions I cared about Mm. and just seeing what happened, you know, like what happened? Yeah, I felt terrible for like a couple of days. But then the next time I did that, it felt 
bless hard. You know, it wasn't that big of a deal. And and within that, I was building sort of a self-value that was consistent regardless of what I climbed, which I think is really important for a lot of people to to build. Like whether or not you fall or fail or your podcast, you know, doesn't get as many listens as it used to, you inherently don't change in value. And your podcast inherently doesn't change in value if you have one episode that doesn't shine as as much as the others. And so it's like, if we get used to kind of failing more, then you don't fear anymore. You kind of play into like a more positive feeling. You're like, I'm not coming up to this climb and worry that I won't do it. I'm coming up to this climb, just looking to, to have an experience, to engage with my body and to just see what happens. Like, we don't know. We never know. I love it. Yeah. That's, yeah, that's great. I could relate it back to myself again, but I, I have been doing that a lot in this conversation. I want to talk more about you. So, so you shared, uh, you said there's three steps. You talked about awareness and then intervention. What's the third step? Ah, actually, I think I skipped the middle step. Um, which is like pausing. So like awareness and then pausing and then intervening. So we don't want to take action on that belief again. So first you build awareness. You're like, oh, when am I saying this to myself? (laughs) So I was climbing the other day and ever since I started doing this mental training stuff, all of a sudden I've become supremely aware of everybody around me. And like, I won't say anything, you know, but like, I'm like watching what people say or watching what people do. I'm listening to what they say. And I'm kind of like, okay, what are people doing out here at the crag that's hurting them? Right. That's not serving them. And I was climbing at the grail and there was somebody climbing the climb next to me this was a couple of months ago and she was injured. And like, she said that like, Oh, my shoulder's injured. You know, and she was training a five twelve, which she expressed was maybe a challenge for her to begin with. And she was falling. Right. And she was like, Oh, my shoulder hurts. And this is hard. And she's like, I suck. She's like, I am the worst climber. Like, Oh, this isn't fun. And like, I'm climbing next to them and just kind of like observing this happening. And I was like, man, it is really hard to be that person. Cause it's like, nobody else is saying that mm. and nobody else would even dream of saying that. That's crazy. They, people would be like, you're injured. Maybe, you know, try something more fun, <laughs> you know, for, for you. Yeah. Um, and so that's like a situation where you would observe, right? So build awareness. Like, what am I saying to myself? How am I talking to myself? Like while I'm climbing, like while I'm on the ground, like what am I even saying? Am I saying like, you're a failure. You're not good enough. You're never going to send this. So like first building that awareness and then you want to pause. So like when you have the awareness, you just want to like not take action on it. So like, I still have negative thoughts for sure, like about my climbing, about anything. So like, I might be sitting under a climb that I've never tried before and I might be nervous and be like, this might be too hard for you. And so I'm like, huh, interesting thought. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So I'm just gonna like pause. I'm not gonna do anything. 
And I think that's important. Like, don't take action on that thought, on that belief that's cropping up. And then the last thing is intervene. So either you take action in the opposite sense. So like, well, thanks for that thought, but I'm going to try this anyway. And you know what? I'm going to try my absolute hardest because I'm going to stick it to you, thought. (laughs) Or (laughs) you can like have a new thought to intervene. So sometimes people need to write these about their climbing. Um, So I have really simple ones that I use like, within my climbing, just because I have become aware of some of my like, either mistakes or triggers or whatever. So I like to say I am calm. I'm a really anxious person in general. And like that anxiety plays really heavily into my climbing sometimes. So I like to remind myself that I am also calm. (laughs) So like, I would say that like, I am calm. And then sometimes I also like to avoid failure. And so when people are avoiding failure, they generally are trying less hard and they're climbing more like delicate, like, oh, I've got to be careful not to fall off. Um, So I would say I am strong. So I say I am calm. I am strong because I don't want to be like delicately moving through the moves. No, I want to be blazing with power, right? You want to be like, I am holding this hold like there's no more holds on this route. (laughs) I'm going to hold it as hard as I possibly can just to get through to that next move. And then when I get to that move, I'm going to worry about that move. And like, yeah, there are tactics like planning rest periods, but in a section where I'm definitely not resting, I'm putting everything into the hold that I'm holding. And like, we're talking hands, feet, whole body. So like, that's a way that you could could move through that process. So you're building awareness, you're pausing, not taking action. And then you're moving forward with a new thought, maybe coaching yourself through something. Yeah. <clears throat> I love it. This is great. Yeah. Um, where to go next? I, uh, I, I, w- <laughs> I had asked you in our first conversation, we talked a few weeks ago for people listening just to get to know each other. And I had asked you like, what feels important to get across in this conversation? I, I usually ask my guests that, like, what would make you proud of this episode and what do you really want to put out there? And I have a number of things on my list. One of them is that you, you really wanted to help normalize insecurities Mm-hmm. Um, which I love. I love that idea. And I mean, that's that's something that feels really important to me with this podcast in general is just to like make people feel less alone because we're all struggling with so many of the same things. Um, but that made, me wa- that made me want to ask you, what are some of the common insecurities that you come across in your coaching? Ones that you still have that you can relate to that you see in your clients? Yeah, what comes to mind for you? Yeah, well, there's a really wide range of them, but I think one of the ones that I think it it really pulls at my heartstrings, which is that a lot of people say that they struggle with belonging. Mm. Like they feel like they have to earn a right to be either like friends with someone or like be seen as a climber, like a a real climber, whatever that means. And they're like, I have to do well when I'm climbing, because if I don't, someone's not going to like me or someone's not going to 
want to be my friend or someone's not going to invite me somewhere. And like that idea is just like, I find it painful because that's really hard, right? To have that be in your climbing, like, holy crap, that's a lot of pressure. Like you won't belong if you don't do this, this climb, like your friends won't talk to you. Like that's, that's not true, first of all. And also that's really hard to, to experience and to believe and be attached to that. That's a very difficult place to, to live in. Um, and what I would say to that idea, which I think is important to kind of tell people is that it's not about like, if you do feel that you have to sort of prove yourself, first of all, like check in, is that true? Like find some evidence to that. Like, do your friends actually feel that way? Like if they do get a new friend. <laughs> yeah. Seriously, like yeah. find people who support you. And what is support? Support means they are there for you no matter how much you fall off. They are there for you if you want to top rope 5.7 for the rest of your life or you want a project 5.12. That's support. Being allowed to be whatever climber you want to be at any level. Like mm. that's real support. And so... Then also, I would tell people like, okay, if you feel this sense of belonging really wearing at you, don't think about sending as connected to something that people are going to be energetically drawn to. Think about effort. Like, think mm. about that person who goes for this move and they're like looking super shaky and they probably got the beta wrong and they are yelling and they're going for that next hold with all of their might. And guess what? They don't get the hold. <laughs> Lower them to the ground. What happens? Wow, man, that was like such a good effort. Like, that's so cool. Like, I love to see you trying that hard. Your try hard inspired me to do the same. So like, that's why I always tell people like, it's not about sending like that's so much pressure. Um, Just think about putting like your best effort in your best passion forward and i think a lot of people play it safe like when it comes to climbing and like i get a lot of joy out of just pushing that edge you know like screaming flailing whatever it is because it is a fun place to live in and it's wild and like people just love it you know like they're just like oh my god i'm gonna do the same thing like this is i'm just gonna get nuts up here and it's like just having more fun and, and playing, playing. Cause I think that that sense of belonging can be really, really tough. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I can talk about, I can talk about other ones. I think a lot of people feel a lot of um, sense that they like have to have to climb for whatever reason, like for somebody else, um, like somebody else expects them to do something and so that's where they like okay like compliments disguised as insults i think that's like a really a really tough one that people people deal with hmm. so this this oh my gosh like this ties into me really 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 closely so 
when I did my my first 514, it was like the best and the worst thing that happened to my climbing because what happens after you do that? All you want to do is do another one. <laughs> and like, right. And I was like, you know, people, I didn't expect this at all. So I didn't expect like people in my community to find out about this. Like, yeah, I post on my social media, but I also assume that nobody goes on there. It's like a bunch of strangers, you know, like, I don't know them. Like, it's not my friends. And people were like coming up to me in the gym, like, hey, I heard about your climb, you know, blah, 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 climb. Good job. Good job. And I was like, you know, I'm like looking at them like, oh, my God, there's humans I have to talk to. (laughs) And it was just like really really intense for me i felt like kind of stressed out like people were watching me i got a little paranoid and like you know some people really like attention and at the time i did not (laughs) (laughs) yeah so like that was really hard and i felt like there was this expectation you know like oh now they know that i've done this climb so I feel like they expect me to be really good all the time. Like, oh, I can no longer fall on B4. It's like you're, oh, you're a 514 climber. Like, you, oh, you can't fall on your warm up ever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know how to deal with this. And I was like, I think I might need to go hide in the cave and climb alone. And like, it was that expectation. Like, it really, it really wore, wore me down. Mm-hmm. And I think it made it very hard to to come back to progress after that because then it was even more kind of taxing on, on my ego to then have like health issues and then my dad's situation like right after that because I was mm. for sure, I was literally climbing B3 and B4. So it was like a very, a very big, a big shift there. And dealing with that idea that like I can do whatever I want and people's expectations don't matter I think that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of people struggle with. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. I, I mean, I certainly do. I like, <laughs> it's funny. I uh, climbed some of my hardest routes at Smith and was getting really close to climbing 514 and like had this amazing bouldering trip and everything was, it was really feeling like, oh, everything's like finally coming together. But I'm also like, you know, pushing too hard, trying to lose a lot of weight, losing a lot of weight, then the weight comes back. And I just remember like I started this podcast and for the first time felt like I had this uh, public persona and people were aware of who I was and I was climbing at my worst. Like my first year of doing this, I was on the road and you know, was 30 pounds heavier than I'd ever been and was climbing in these steep caves in St. George that were kicking my ass because I'd never done anything like that. And I I just felt like fraudulent, you know, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, and it, it's taken a long time to rebuild that. But I it's I really relate to everything you're saying, and um, it was really really difficult to to reframe that and to eventually embrace like, okay, I mean, I don't like it. I don't like that this is where I'm at right now, but this is where I'm at right now, and I want to keep climbing. So I can either hide from the world you know, but I can't hide the level that I'm climbing at right now if I'm going to keep climbing and I'm just going to focus on that and, and focus on things that inspire me and things that challenge me and do the same thing I've always done. And, and then sure enough, like it comes in time, you know, like you, you make progress again and you eventually do things that 
you realize like, oh, that would have actually been hard for me before when I was, you know, quote, climbing at my best. And that's pretty cool. And um, it's for, for me, it was interesting because I, th I think there definitely was a process of rewriting stories I was telling myself and challenging belief, like negative thoughts and beliefs and things. But a big part of mm -hmm. it too was just like, was kind of just going through the motions and trying to focus on process in my climbing. And then a lot of those stories kind of rewrite themselves when you start to feel confident again in your climbing, you know? Um, I guess that goes back to like getting in your body. Yeah. Yeah. And like the idea of having something to live up to and then feeling like every day you're failing, like that's a really hard place to sit in. And so it's like thinking of the idea of climbing as something, that, I mean, the grades, oh my gosh, like I really hate them, love, hate. I think they make, <laughs> they make me obsessed, you know, because mm. you're like, oh, okay. I like numbers and putting them <laughs> onto things and writing it down. But at the same time, it's like so unimportant because being a good athlete, practicing your climbing can happen at any level. And when we have like a, a moment where we, we aren't living up to what we feel like is our quote unquote potential or our past, focusing on being a better athlete is, is how I kind of personally got through that because you can make progress in many, 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 many other ways other than grades. And then also like detaching so much to that like expectation or result, you know, like I don't need, like it took me a really long time to even associate myself like with that kind of grade, right? I'm like, yeah, I like did one, but that doesn't mean I'm a, you know, whatever climber. Totally. Yeah. And so it's like also like celebrating our victories when they happen. So like maybe you did a five, nine, like better than you've ever done it before and you're like yes like that was awesome I nailed all my foot movements I didn't feel nervous and like wow look at that progress that I've made like maybe last time I tried this I wasn't paying attention and I was just yarning for the jugs my feet were popping you know I made it to the top but kind of looking for those ways to become a better like more skilled climber as opposed to like getting uh, obsessed with with the grade and I mean, when we inherently learn self-worth outside of grades and sins, that is really like the most powerful thing. Um, like when we detach from, from the outcome, like maybe I will never send this climb ever, never, ever. And it's like, can you handle that? Like, what if you spend years trying this route kind of in that position right now? and never do it are you going to think that all of that time is a waste like no of course it's not a waste because like if you're looking for all the ways that you became a better climber through that process it doesn't even matter if you send it or not hmm. like that's the value like yeah you can write down like a number on some spreadsheet and you can tell all your friends and post about it and people can come up to you at the gym and that's great and that's one thing but like that kind of um, attention and I guess like ego-based reward is going to make you feel drained and like a loser 
when that stuff stops happening. Mm. It will. <laughs> right. Totally. Yeah. So it's like finding the value. Yeah. That's something I've struggled with a lot because I, I have such a like productivity fixation, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. I've, I've kind of shied away at least in the last couple of years of taking on projects that are really, really hard, specifically sport climbing projects, you know, where you might take seasons to try to do something. And it's always because I'm comparing that time investment with all the other things I could be doing. And I think on some level that's smart, uh-huh. right? Like, mm-hmm. like it's important to think about that because so many good things happen when I'm exposing myself to lots of different climbs and sending them and the motivation that comes with that and the physical changes that come with that. But I finally embraced it this last year. Like, no, I I need to sink my teeth into some 514s and like really give them hell, you know? And uh, what I've realized is like, it's really helpful for me to pick audacious goals because that is a driver to stretch myself, to grow, to level up to that climb. Even if I don't do it, it's going to propel me forward versus like staying stuck in this kind of cycle Mm -hmm. of like, well, I'm already good enough to do these 513s. So I'll just do a lot of them. But like, you're not, you know, it doesn't really like inspire you to, to level up, to really take a close look at like, what are my limitations? What's holding me me back and how do I change it? Right. Um, Have we found something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I invested uh, a month or like five weeks of effort in a in a climb down in Utah. I was climbing with Joe Kinder and trying a route that he bolted that actually we think is maybe more like 14B. So a, a really big stretch for me. I thought it was 14A at the time and we're realizing like, oh, maybe it's harder than that. And it was amazing. I mean, I feel so motivated this summer. It's like guided all of my training this summer and it's given me, it's given me focus, which I realized that I needed because my approach for so long has been like, well, I just want to get way stronger than I am. So I'll just focus on strength training, but it helps a lot to have a specific goal and to kind of limit the things that you're focused on and to have a reason like, you know, I'm, I'm going to start doing longer hangs in a half crimp position than I normally would because I have video of myself on this hold and I have to like Mm -hmm. get to the hold, cut feet from the hold, move my feet from the hold, make a hard clip, do two hand movements, move my foot again. And then I get to let go. And it's like 17 seconds that I'm on this hold, you know? Wow. Um, And yeah, that's like really interesting. I'm like, right. Like, Oh, I should probably train that. And it gives, it gives me some guidance and, you know, because we can't work on everything at once. So it really helps to have that focus for me. Um, yeah, it's been great. Yeah. But it's also important to, like, I'm I'm also planning to go on the sport climbing trip in September to just have tons of fun and climb lots of stuff. You know, it's still, a, it's still a balance, but. Yeah, yeah. I think anyone who spends a lot of time thinking about climbing and investing in their climbing, having those kinds of awareness can be really helpful for things like you said, sustaining motivation. And I'm a big fan of goals. And it's funny because like when we think goals, we think results, Mm. right? But it's more like I think goals and I think like focus, you know, trajectory, like there's no guarantee that you will ever reach that goal. But when you set the goal, you can frame like your whole year. Cause I think a lot of people, struggle with consistency Mm -hmm. and when you have kind of uh like more simplicity to climbing climbing is complicated you know there's lots of workouts there's lots of people telling you what kind of workouts to do it can feel really crazy and so like 
boiling it down to like one simple climb you want to do, or maybe just like a theme for the year can be really helpful for kind of filtering all your decisions through that. So you have like more focus and a lot of times choosing a really hard climb can do that for people. Um, it does push them and it can give you signals. Like you said, like, Oh, there's a hold that I need to hold for 17 seconds. Well, that's a signal that I can't hold a hold for 17 seconds. Mm -hmm. So now I need to improve that. Like there was uh, the climb that I've been training for two years out here, which is called Weekend of Burnings, and I probably will never do. But tell me about I it. It's seen, this is a fourteen B at Donner Summit, is that right? Yeah, I mean, right now it's a fourteen A, but a lot of people have taken a B for it, and I think for me, it's probably a fourteen B based on other fourteen As I've tried slash done. It's just a lot harder for me in my body, and that's what matters. And so, like, there's this one move that is a dynamic dead point and it is my full wingspan so once i grab the hold my, both of my arms are straight and i actually had to go and train power for that move specifically because i was just finding that i wasn't really like getting the length and so the first i don't know <laughs> many many sessions i tried that move i i couldn't do it but then when I train power, I have now turned that move into something that I can do at least once per session. Mm. It's a really hard move. And sometimes I can do it more than once. Um, and so that's really fun because without really, you know, that's what a hard climb does for you is it can give you information. Like, where are my weaknesses? Sometimes that can be hard. There's like some sort of generic climbing test. But I find that they are a little detached from climbing outside. So it's kind of hard to really relate the two sometimes. But if you find a hard climb that has a move that you can't do, or that feels weird, awkward, strange, you're like, I don't know what's going on. That is a signal that you have that area to grow in. So you are becoming a better climber by learning that move. Hmm. So it can be helpful to have hard projects like that. But you're really wise in going and also doing volume on many, many climbs because movement and skill is built in both ways, but it is obviously faster to build movement skill when you do lots of different moves as opposed to just the same moves over and over, which I think like sometimes uh, people don't find that balance and they might like only do one or the other. And I think like both have a lot of value like within our climbing Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I already mentioned this, but I, I did a follow-up with Jonathan Segrist yesterday and something that really stood out to me from that conversation is he, he was saying that he always tries for a 50, 50 split. And what I mean by that is like 50% of his time trying things that are a real stretch for him that he doesn't, mm -hmm. that he, that he feels unsure about, like, I don't know whether or not I'll do this. And then 50% of his time doing things that he knows he's going to do. It's just a matter of like first go versus 10th go or whatever. Um, and I thought that was really interesting because I think in general, I think most climbers are on the ends of the spectrum, either side, right? Like there's very project focused uh -huh. climbers that are like an 80, 20. And then there's climbers on the other side that never project that are more like a 2010 or a 2080, you know, or whatever, but the splits rarely 50, 50 for people. So that's something that I'm, I really liked that. And I, I want to, uh, start kind of practicing that more in my own climbing. 
I like the awareness like that he has about about this stuff. You know, a yeah. lot of us don't don't necessarily climb as much with as much reflection, I guess. Mm. So that's really interesting to to hear him say that. And I think like it's really important for motivation. Like when I projected the first 514, honestly, it was sort of like a really kind of intense experience. Like I would, it's so funny, like thinking back to those memories because there was not a single day that I thought I would do that kind until the day I sent it. And like, I was worn out, you know, mm. I was like, oh, I'm never going to do this. Like, what am I doing? It was really hard to stay confident. And I wasn't climbing on anything else, really. You know, like we would do warm ups and stuff, but like we weren't really climbing on anything else, like me and my partner at the time. And so I felt really worn out by that. And I learned a lot through that projecting process which is something you can apply to motivation, which is like, you know, I wasn't necessarily desiring to go. I was just sort of obsessed. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And it's like that motivation thing. Like you have to, if you're going to drain yourself, like trying something that you don't know if you can do, or, you know, I would call that draining. Like it's good for us because it's pushing us, but it's also draining. And so like, you also need things that fill into your joy. It's mm. so like, what's joyful for you? What's fun for you? Is that like climbing all day on multi-pitch that's like 510? You know, what makes you really excited? And it's like having the balance between those two things. If you get really psyched up on projecting and you don't care that you're going to fall for however many days it is until you do it, then like maybe that's your joy space. But for a lot of people, they find projecting a little draining. So it's like remembering to still have fun like in some way. So that's also why I think that balance is a really, a really good idea. I don't know if I'm going to measure, you know, percentages, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I, I don't think I will either. And I don't think Jonathan has like a spreadsheet, but, um, just you generally, never <laughs> you never know. He might, I mean, he does track everything on 8A, so it's probably easy to, you know, I have no idea. I don't know if he like thinks about this in terms of like attempts, days spent, you know, totaled. I think he just generally thinks like, time right like roughly 50 percent of my time doing this versus that which i think is cool um, but i want to ask you like so you have this badass 14b project 14a 14b <laughs> whatever it is i'm talking about this one here because everyone gonna follow this journey of trying something too too hard for you and where it goes haha <laughs> 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 -ha, now you're part of the you're you can like feel my pain um i've done that to myself on this podcast for sure but I wanted to ask you, like, what did you do to work on power? Mm -hmm. And then what do you think you need to do or what are you focusing on to be able to send this climb? Yeah, well, it's a really tricky one because this year has been sort of like a, a revisiting with that health sort of crisis I had back in 2018, 19, because um, I basically wasn't really able to climb for about four months, more than like one day or so. And I just like had a lot going on and they didn't have the ability to go out very often. So I lost a lot of fitness in the sense that I noticed my body kind of changing from muscle 
<laughs> to just like having the same shape but like less muscle. So that was that was new for me. That was like a, a new thing. I haven't had that much time off, like basically since that kind of stroke situation. And then um, I started to feel like I was kind of getting back into shape. And I did do a different 514 recently. It's way more my style. And then I got COVID twice. So I'm not really sure what I'm going to do like physically, but the original plan was to focus on my weaknesses, which I decided was kind of like a power endurance because I was having trouble like linking the three boulder problems um, with some like five, 12 climbing kind of in between. So I was finding that I was um, getting fatigued. And by the way, this is about 8,000 feet. So this is really high elevation for a sport climb and it's very powerful. And I also found that I think I needed to work on my head game, right? So I still have, you know, issues with head game. And there's a couple of scary sections where you can flip over and there's some really intense smears and it's very hard to like get your leg out from behind the rope it's sort of almost impossible like where you have to step so i have to move past that fear there um because i was finding that i was personally letting go so i'm needing to mentally move through that space and work on my power endurance possibly do open-handed hangs um most of the climb is very very open-handed and um I find that more fatiguing in the shoulders. So I'm also going to work on body tension. It's uh, smearing, you know, not real feet. So you get a mix between like smears and foot jams. And so there's a couple of feet, but not really. So my body tension was was dropping throughout the route. So those are kind of like my my focuses. Okay. Yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah. Original training for power. Yeah, yeah. 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 Tell me about that. Yeah. So I actually started with box jumps. Oh, wow. Okay. That's not what I was expecting. Cool. Yeah. So because like, so, you know, climbing is complicated. So if you want to learn something that your body doesn't know how to do, sometimes it's easier to take that generalized. So like, let's just learn how to be powerful in general, like power comes from the legs. So I need to teach my legs how to jump. Mm. Um, and so I did a whole bunch of box jumps and I found that that was really helping to get me going. Um, that was, I would do it at the start of my session as a warm up because that meant that I would always do it basically. Mm. And so I'm not talking a lot here, like one minute rest, one minute, you know, that's it. Not a lot. And then from that point, you know, you got to start applying it. So you got to get on stuff that's easy for you and try and be more powerful. So like not locking off but jumping for something. And so part of being powerful is also the ability to latch the hold. And sometimes people need to train that response. So sometimes someone might be going for a hold, but the reaction that's automatic is for their hand to open. 
So if they need to train that to close their hands, then they need to work on that. So you, you don't have to like jump straight on the board, you know, to do power, you can do anything. So just like going on V0, V1, whatever, skip some holds, try and grab those holds, see how far you can go, go all directions. And like, think, do more dinos, <laughs> like little dinos, you know, you don't have to do the hard dinos, make them up. And I think something that really helped me with power was learning how to generate from the legs on the wall rather than generate from the arms. I think mm. a lot of people think that power comes from your shoulders and they're obviously being used. But if you generate from the legs, you're going to feel a similar sensation as when you jump onto a box, right? So you're going to be jumping, then your feet are going to lift off, and then you're going to land. When you're climbing, sometimes people don't have that sensation of like pushing with the foot and then feeling that point when they leave the foothold, you know? Mm. And it's like, that means that you're generating from the legs. And then also something that's important with power is catching with a firm body. I think a lot of people catch and they flop. Okay. So like you'll, you'll go and you'll grab something and then you'll just like turn into a noodle. <laughs> and then you like go flying off because it's really hard to hold a noodle on the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like something that really helped me with power is like when you latch the hold, squeeze, mm. tension your whole body. And if you've ever seen Jonathan climb, like when he latches a hold, he kind of like goes stiff, right? His body will like freeze in the air. And that's because like you're helping alleviate some of that momentum and you're going to be able to latch and hold the hold more easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that straightforward enough? You can also obviously campus if you want to, but since power is from the legs, in my opinion, that I think has a slightly indirect effect. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that because yeah, I've always felt like campusing is just kind of a strange, I mean, this gets talked about a lot these days, but it's just such a strange power training tool and it's kind of not a power training tool. And I've, I, um, I've never really done much of it because I've, it's so hard for me to think of climbs that I've tried or want to do of all the boulders and, and sport climbs I've tried. Like it's, it's hard for me to think of a single example where I felt like I was really just campusing, you know, it's, it's more often that you're like tensing really hard to hold yourself there with your upper body while you drive with your lower body. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, like even, even like pull-ups and stuff. Like I feel like I rarely, do like an actual pull up on a climb. It's more like you're locking off at 90 with an arm while you're like pressing through your feet and twisting with your body to reach the next hold. Yeah. Speaking of pull ups, though, I mean, I, I'm not discounting that as a helpful exercise. I sure. just think yeah. people need, need both. Um, like something I did also do was fast pull ups. Okay. And that specifically, so like my feet are on for this move, right? But I am pulling fast. Mm -hmm. So like you're starting kind of like it like this and then you're like pulling and going there. So hands, hands at her chin, like matched and then making a big reach. Yeah. 
Yeah. And so um, the speed at which I could pull through the pull-up muscles is always helpful for power. And so like doing really fast pull-ups can be helpful for that. And like also not a lot, you know, maybe I would do three maximum in a row, but not really in a row. I'm like coming down, lowering and starting again with as much effort as possible. And you could even uh, make the rest between those like a minute or something like that. Or you could do them three in a row. But yeah, like very small amount because you you start to lose speed right away. Mm. So do like three and then maybe take a three to five minute rest and maybe do like three reps or three sets of that. Awesome. Yeah. It's funny because it's like it's not a lot, you know. Like totally. I, I don't really do like a, a lot for something. Like I would pick like a couple of exercises and then try to incorporate them into my regular schedule. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that gets uh, underappreciated is like how little we have to do with some of these strength movements to make real progress. And I, I remember a period in my climbing where I was doing, I was like really psyched on pistol squats. And I think I was doing two sets of two reps twice a week maybe three times a week, but it was like so little volume. It was crazy. And I just got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And eventually I could do two pistol squats with like a 50 pound kettlebell in my hand. What? Yeah. And it, it, like, it was like, it was like five minutes of time investment twice a week, you know, it was almost nothing. But, um, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that's like my secret sauce is pistol squats. I have no idea, but like it, I've, I've seen that time and time again, like it takes surprisingly little with a lot of this stuff to, to make real progress, which is really encouraging because we want to spend most of our time climbing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's really funny though. Um, I mean, like I, the birth of my obsession with climbing improvement was definitely focused on the training side of things, you know, like I've done so many training plans and probably trained up to like 20 hours a week plus climbing outside one or two days, you know, like I was full on obsessed with it. And the funny thing is though, that I've seen the greatest progress like through plateaus and just in general from the mental work that I did as opposed to the physical work. Mm. And I think that's why I, not only to help people overcome like difficulties, but also to kind of inform people that, it's the only fast results thing that you can do. Like, yes, you hmm. can have neurological adaptations, like after a couple of sessions of pull-ups or any other exercise. But like, if you want results that are faster, the most important thing you can do is work on your mental game. Like, how are you holding yourself back and like figuring it out? And the thing is like, it translates into you climbing better with what you already have because like i think training gives the message message to people that there's a deficit like you need to be this level in order to do this and it's like no no no. we all we all have what we need to probably advance you know one level right we all probably have that within ourselves so if we can build our mentality around that to have the strength for that and understand what ways in which your mind is holding you back, then like you can see a lot of progress. And it's like, so here's a great example that I have from my own life, which is fantastic. So like this year, 
right? I had essentially four months off where I was climbing once a week. Then I had a month where I didn't even want to climb because I was just like, I'm over this. And so I didn't even do anything. Then I came back to climbing and within two months, climbing like pretty regularly, but not like training or anything at all. In fact, probably climbing less than I have in many, many years. I did my second 514. And so I'm just like, what is going on? (laughs) And I'm like, okay. Well, first of all, as soon as you look away from the thing that you want most, then it sort of falls in your lap. And then also, I think it was just like pure motivation and, and drive like to try harder. Mm. Like thinking less about doing this for whatever reason and just like actually putting in my best effort like every time I went out there. And also, like, if I couldn't get past a certain section, which did happen to me on that specific route, I probably went to that climb. Um, So I tried the 13C kind of portion of it last year, and I had a really hard time with the finish. And this season, I actually went there maybe five times, and I, like, couldn't do the end at all. And I was like, yep, don't know. I don't know. I don't have the beta. I can't find the beta. I don't know what's going on. But I was like, okay, what can I do with what I have? And how can I still try my absolute hardest, even though there's a move on this I can't even do yet. And so it's like just having a different mentality around it. And it's like just pushing through those sections with as much effort as you can and doing as best as you can, like every time. Sometimes that means less goes, right? Because it's like mm. hard to put in put in a full effort. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Because <laughs> that is hard. I mean, no, really, like that is, yeah, that's so hard sometimes to know. Like when when do I persevere? Because we, romant- we like elevate that and, and put so much importance on like perseverance, pushing through, like suffering as a society, culture. Um, and it's really hard to know when to pull back to like serve yourself moving forward you know um i I find that i find that really difficult i mean i have an answer for you is like you quit when you stopped learning Mm. like if you aren't learning anything and sometimes that can be the way that you're climbing it like you're just climbing it the same way every time like you're not reflecting on how to improve or you're not enjoying yourself that's important or you're just like going through the motions, not sure why you're still falling, you know, something like that, like where you're not learning anymore. And like, if you feel drained, like if you're no longer, if you're not learning, you're going to feel drained. Well, Alice, we could talk for hours and hours, obviously. Um, and we've only gotten, we're going to have to do this again because we've only gotten to about half the things I had on my list. But we've also, we've just, we've talked about most of them just in this kind of um, free-flowing yeah. way. But I, I got this great listener question. I do want to wrap up with this because I think this will tie a lot of the things that we've been talking about together. And also, hopefully, I would just love to leave people with a few tangible takeaways. Like if someone is bought in, like they want to work on their mental game or their mental state, Mm -hmm. changing their own mind, changing these beliefs that they have about themselves, what do they actually do? But yeah, I'm going to read this question. Um, 
because I thought it was so good. This is from Fiona and Fiona writes, uh, such an interesting profession. We often focus on training our bodies and there are various training programs out there with a wide variety of approaches. But I wonder, could we also train our minds in a similar way? I'd love to have a quote training plan for the mind. And also with physical training, you can quantify your progress mostly through numbers, but how do you measure mental training progress? I think that's such a good question. Um, Fiona writes, I often get discouraged because I can't really measure my progress and I feel like I'm stagnating. And this question can be climbing specific, but I think the approach should be valid for mental training in general, like helping with anxiety in day-to-day life. And then she just writes, thank you. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear, yeah, mental training plan. Do you have thoughts on on that, on like how to think about mental training as a practice or is that the right analogy too? That's something I was, you know, curious about when I read this question, like maybe comparing it to physical training isn't the best comparison. Maybe it would be better compared to like skill acquisition or training flexibility or some of these things that just are harder to see tangible change day to day. But like in hindsight, it's super obvious when we've improved. So yeah, that's a question. And then any thoughts on quantifying or trying to measure or or gain some uh, motivation about your mental training when it feels like it's stagnant? Yeah, I love this question. Uh, so it's I actually do like to think of mental training as something that feels similar to physical because I want to associate the idea that if you put effort in, you will improve. Mm. And like, I think that that correlation is direct. And I also like in a fun way to call my mental strength, my mind muscle. So like when my mind muscle flexes, it crushes those negative thoughts away. So like while I'm climbing and I might have like a moment of self-doubt, like, can you actually do this? Are you going to fall off? Are you going to blow it? Then I would flex my mind muscle and be like, bye. (laughs) And like, like for me, like I call it like wiping the hard drive, you know, like Mm. you're, you're just clearing your head, like with that muscle, like the muscle flexes. And when it flexes, those thoughts just disappear. Um, there's a funny exercise where like for, um, like with mental health, where you would write down like something that you believe about yourself or you had a thought and you crumple up the paper and then you throw it away. So like thinking of it in that sense. And like the more that you work out this mind muscle, the stronger it becomes. And like, I can only attest to my own journey and many of my clients journey, like to reflect that, like they feel stronger and more powerful. They're more able to resist like these negative thoughts that come into their mind while they're climbing, before they're climbing, you know, they, they don't feel that they are controlled by them anymore. And so like measuring the mental training plan. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's a plan because everybody is different and I like to play into that. Everyone needs something different. Everyone has a different mental block, whatever it is. And so like people can learn with me on my course, actually. So I do have like a, a five week, which I call a training where I kind of go through what I felt like were valuable things that I learned along my journey and I teach that, but then also I would go with that person on their own individual journey, like in a group setting, and we would sort of write their own mental training plan. So that 
that basically involves setting goals. And then when you have a goal, having actionable steps that you're working on um, and mental training safely, I think is important. Like sometimes people push themselves too, too far and they get over scared or they feel like drained. So like having mental training, like in a safe progress, um, like, and how to measure that, like, that's such a great question. And basically we measure through the goals that you set. So like, I actually do have a, a paper that people fill out an assessment and they write down like the thoughts and reactions and their fears and all this stuff about their mental state. And so by having that written down, when you start the process, you always have that to reflect back on when you feel differently. So you have this like assessment and I send it to them and they can keep it. And so you can measure your progress by writing down how you feel about these things that you're working on. So for example, what if you're working on taking less? Like saying, like saying take less when you're climbing? take. Yeah, like okay. saying take less. Like sometimes that's, so that's a, a reaction that I think people have when they feel nervous and they're like, I need to feel safe. And so they're like, I need to take. So if somebody sets the goal of like, I want to to work on taking less, um, then they can very easily write down how many times they have done that one week, I wouldn't say do it every week because I don't want it to feel like this competition. So you would just like do it maybe once a month. And then the next month you're like, oh, okay, time to write down like how many takes I have. And then just like seeing that as a way of measuring progress. But often it's like the feelings and perceptions we have around things. So you can do those like rechecking them with those assessments. And there's a lot of ways to measure progress. Yeah. I mean, like that is something that I worked on, like taking less. Like I, I feel like I have been every type of climber that there is to be, (laughs) you know, like the person that yells wobblers when they fall off, like the person that doesn't want to climb because they're afraid of looking stupid. Like the person that takes on every single bolt because they're like nervous, you know, (laughs) it's like (laughs) totally yeah yeah i does that answer the question like well well enough yeah yeah it does tell me more about your coaching and um how people can work with you where they can find you and things like that yeah well i they can find me on my instagram at alice hafer and you can work with me going through the link in bio there there's a couple of options there i do two things which is work with people one-on-one and then i work with people in a group setting through that what i call right now the mind power training but i might change the name um (laughs) and uh so that's like a a group um kind of like a yeah it's like a a five-week to 12-week training depending and they would learn a lot of aspects through the process like so about fear what to do with it what is it why do we have it um we would go through those steps that i explained to you earlier with the limiting beliefs which i think is one of the most important things for dealing with mental training is going through those steps of what thoughts are holding you back and then we would also go over like learning what flow state is how to get to it why is it important? And also like re-engaging with the body senses, 
using senses and engagement with what you're doing to become a better climber and basically not not alleviate fear or like get rid of it but be less attached to it because you're so focused on what you're doing mm. yeah. and um also things like going over tactical skills which can sometimes help people feel more comfortable sounds awesome i'll link to all the things <laughs> in the show notes for people that are listening um I want to ask you this just final question to wrap up. Can you leave listeners with like, you know, do you have homework for us? Like for all of us, I mean, so many of us have neglected mental training or just never, you know, we've never given it this, the same weight that we put into our physical training. Are there one or two things that you would recommend for people to try out if they're interested in getting started with their own mental strength journey? Yeah, I mean... Gosh, I mean, the first thing that I would definitely recommend is just building that awareness. So like noticing what are you saying to yourself that is negative, that might be building into your belief. Like the more you say that to yourself, you're going to start believing it. So like, what are you saying to yourself that isn't building into your confidence and building into your self-trust? like negative thoughts, negative responses. So like looking for those. And then if you're looking for like a climbing exercise that people can apply to their climbing right away, I think one of my most favorite and athlete favorites is definitely the, like, I call it like a one-up thoughts. So you one-up your thought that is holding you back with another one. So like, if you are at the bottom and you're like, what if I fall off this? Then you come in with a new thought that's like, what if I don't? You know, it's really simple. Like just introducing like another thought that supersedes that thought. So that's why it's called one up because you want to one up that negative thought. And so just like do it over and over again. Like every time that negative thought comes in, like get another thought in there and like push it out, you know, push out that negative thought with something else. Yeah. So I think that that's something that I think really helps, really helps people when they're first starting out. Cause they're like, well, I don't know how to overcome my fear because I'm just thinking all the time. Mm. Just thinking, 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 I'm going to fall off. My foot's going to slip. I'm going to get hurt. I'm never going to make this. I'm going to look stupid. You know, there's a lot of things going on. We got to get those, you know, you can't always stop them. You can become better at having less of them, but it's really just not getting attached to them where you feel powerful. Like you hear them and you're like, interesting. Well, I'm going to say something else to myself. Mm. Like you can do this. I love it. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. There's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's just funny. It's, it's always so helpful to talk about this stuff and to have conversations about this stuff. And I'm always surprised, like as much as I, I spend a lot of time thinking about this kind of stuff and I've worked on it a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's always surprising. Like in this conversation, I've had so many things come up for me and I'm realizing like, I need to kind of check in again on, on self limiting beliefs or just negative beliefs that I have about myself. Cause they change, they've shift. And I think there's, yeah. I think there's some new ones that have come in over the last couple of years, having this podcast and having my attention and focus divided between two things that I care really deeply about 
you know, they're connected, mm-hmm. but they're different. And all that to say, I just, I really appreciate this conversation. I, um, it's been amazing. <laughs> What's that? So much to think about. So much to think about. Yeah. I'm going to have to listen to it again and I'd love to have you back on. And I just want to put this out there for people listening. If you guys resonated especially strongly with something that we touched on and want us to go in more depth on anything that we've talked about, please reach out, let us know. We can make a follow-up happen, hopefully, if you're up for it. And uh, we we can do a deep dive on something more specific um, and really get into the weeds with this stuff. Yeah, because there's so much we could talk about. Yeah, and I think something I really, 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 really also want people to, to know is that mental training is not a continual uphill progress. So like you might have a really good day and then a really bad day. And that is a hundred percent normal. And I think that is a super important thing for people to remember. And also like for some people, they just need like that nugget of wisdom and like their whole climbing just shifts. And for other people like me, years, you know, and I also like have backwards progress, forwards progress, like all the time, but I just have built in this awareness and tools. So I'm not really like intimidated by that anymore. But a lot of people might make the assumption that, oh, like I'm going to work on my mental training. So then I'm just going to become better and better and better every time. And like, that's not true. It's a very soft thing. I think you have to be gentle with yourself. And take care of yourself through the process because it is hard to push yourself mentally. And so just remembering that it's not uphill. It's more like up and down and up and down and up and down peaks and valleys. And like, we just want to look for a general progress over time rather than like a very fast upward hill progress. Right. I mean, like so many things in life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that makes me want to ask you, where are you at now? Like, how do you feel um, mentally since you started working on this stuff? Oh, yeah, I love this question. Um, so I honestly, like most of the time, I feel a little bit like a superhero. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's, aw- that's awesome. <laughs> like, the reason I love saying that is because I get so excited to try and excite other people to to get to that space. Like, I feel like I'm just no longer like intimidated by most things. Mm, And I think like, it's, it's so freeing to be in that space. Like, I love telling the story of my recent like 514 send because like, it couldn't have been more like pressure. Like it was a super, super, super busy day. There was probably like 10 people like around this route, you know, like waiting either their turn or just sitting and watching. It was a weekend and like the weather was okay, but it wasn't like super perfect. And I was just like, wow, I'm really close to this route. And this is like a lot of pressure right now. Like all these people that some of them are my friends or some of them are just people who know, like, you know, acquaintances. And I'm just like, wow, this is cool. Like I can remember a time when this would have crippled me, mm. I would have like fallen off the first bowl, blown like easy sequences, been really nervous. But this time I was like, cool, this is a challenge. 
like I don't get to climb in front of this many people that often anymore. So like, this is an opportunity for me to like really zone in. And so I was like, all right, what do you do when you're in this situation? And I'm like, okay, so I'm going to breathe and I'm going to focus on what's in front of me. So this is when I flex my mind muscle where my mind muscle goes from world. I'm like, holding the world here with my arms and then I shrink it down into the hold in front of me. Mm. And so I'm like, okay. So for me, the, the feeling in my body is different. Like I go from being like around people and I sort of like dull my senses. Like I'm not really hearing what they're saying anymore. And I'm kind of in this like special zone that I feel like over time I have been able to build control over. And so I get into this zone and I'm like, okay, boulder right off the ground, sweet, hardest moves right off the ground. What am I going to do? I'm going to check in with my four points. So like hand, hand, foot, foot. And I'm going to try my absolute hardest right now. And so like, I kind of like draw like an energy, like when I breathe in, there's like this really powerful, like forceful energy, like within, within me. And I'm just like, I'm going to hold this crimp like, as hard as I possibly can. And I'm going to squeeze my butt so hard. There's <laughs> no way that foot is coming off. And like, honestly, it was a really fun moment because I would say I did not feel that good. So I was like kind of tired and I was like barely kind of scraping through the moves and I get to the crux moves and I'm literally going like, ah! <laughs> you know, like, and this one move is so delicate that like 100% of the time, I think I'm going to miss it. And like, as soon as that thought creeps into my head, I'm like, nope. And then I just like go for the next hold and I know that I have to hold it like with my entire body or I'm going to fall off. And like, I almost fell off and I was just like raging, you know, like past that point where you're like, I think my body's done, but I'm going to keep screaming, you know, <laughs> and like see, see what happens. And, um, so I get through the boulder and then we have that moment. This is a moment I think people struggle with where I'm on the rest and you're looking at the rest of the climb. And you're and through you're the like, crux. The first crux. Okay. 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 Fair. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and you're looking up at the rest of the climb, whether it's easy or hard, you, it, you just have this moment to pause. Mm. And when you have a pause, you have thoughts. So like, that's when people start to get nervous and start to like chain gaze, you know? chain gaze yeah chain gaze like looking at the chains <laughs> i want the chains <laughs> um <laughs> and so i'm like cool like i got through the boulder and i'm sitting on this uh rest and i'm having this interior dialogue with myself which i just think is hilarious i'm like self-coaching the whole time you know and um my dialogue is saying what if you mess up what if you blow it at the top? What if you don't do it right now in front of everybody? And then that's when I use my mind muscle and I go like, delete. And it's like silence. 
in my head. And what I do is I look at my hands and I'm like trying to see, you know, the wrinkles in the back of my fingertips. And I'm like looking at the hold and I'm trying to feel all the indents of the hold. And like, I do make the observation that the hold feels kind of sweaty, but then I'm like, delete. You know, it's like this really interesting kind of power. And then that's when I know I'm a little like feeling pressure. So then I would start my like chant. I am calm. Oh, okay. Yeah, like I am calm. I am strong. Um, And I rest for as long as I need in order to draw again from that powerful space where I can do every move the best that I can do. And then there's also like another kind of part of it, which is this pause power, like the power to pause. Like if you feel that you're rushing something, you don't want to rush it. You just want to move like slow and controlled. And if you feel weird, you know, just like pausing and trying to find like, where's the power at? Like, why do I feel weird? And then like, I got to this section where was the move that we talked about earlier that I couldn't do, you know, a couple days earlier. And I, I did finally figure out a sequence, but the foot would pop probably like 50% of the time. And so I'm like, okay, I'm not going to think about anything, but really engaging my shoulders down and like my legs really powerful. And then it's like, when you're really thinking about what you're doing, there's not a lot of space for these distractions. And so like the combination between just like engaging with the senses, using my mind muscle to clear, clear all the thoughts away and then trying my absolute best. Like if I put in everything I have into nailing that move and I still fall off, you're happy, mm. you know? And so it's like, I know that a lot of people will be like, well, I don't have this mind muscle yet. And I'm like, well, that's okay. You can build it. And it's really fucking cool. Like, I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I I can hear it in your voice. I can hear the excitement. I've just been smiling through this whole story of your send. And my palms are sweating. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Super cool. I love it. And you know what's funny? It's like when I got to the ground, You know what people said? They said, wow, you tried really hard. They didn't say like, good job on your send. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you tried really hard. And I'm like, yes, yes. And I was like, feed off my energy. You try hard now. Like it's so, it's just so beautiful. Like I I just love it. I love being able to get to that place because when people see that happen, they like get excited and it's like, that's what I want to kind of spread in the climbing kind of world is like getting people that stoked about it. Mm. Yeah. It's really fun. I'm very glad you shared that story. Thank you for that. That's, <laughs> that's super cool. What was, uh, what's the name of the route? What was it? Uh, it's called rocket 13. It's at uh snowshed at Donner pass, like up here. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks, Alice. <laughs> I feel like we could just talk forever. I know. I feel that way too, but, but let's save it for another episode. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks for giving me so much of your time today. This has been awesome. I think this is another just 
nugget-filled episode. There's so much, so much to take away from this. And this is one of those ones, like, I'm really excited to edit this because I know it's going to be really valuable for me to revisit this conversation. So yeah, just appreciate you. Thank you. And for people listening, I hope you got something from this. Let us know what you want us to talk more about in the future. And I'll be sure to link to all the things in the show notes for this episode at thenuggetclimbing.com, Alice's Instagram and everything else. And yeah, I think that's it. Thanks for listening. Hey friends, before you go, don't forget to check out Petzl. You can shop for Petzl harnesses at your local climbing shop or online at petzl.com. They make harnesses for whatever type of climbing you love to do using four unique constructions to build their harnesses. Whatever it is that you love, Petzl harnesses have you covered. You can experience the difference with Petzl. Also, don't forget to check out the Arcteryx film Free As Can Be. I watched it about a month ago. I absolutely loved the film. And if you love climbing, I'm sure you'll dig it. Head over to YouTube and search for Arcteryx Free As Can Be, or you can use the direct link right there in your podcast app to watch the full 31-minute film for free. Also, be sure to check out Fizzy Vantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support my finger training, and I can't recommend it enough if you're training your fingers. Head over to fizzyvantage.com, use code NUGGET15 at checkout, and you'll save 15% off your next order. And finally, don't forget to check out Crimped. Head over to crimped.com or find the Crimped app in the App Store. The free version gives you 75 different workouts created by professional coaches, Tom Randall and Ollie Tour of Lattice Training. It's an awesome app. I use it. I love it. So go check it out and see if you like it. Once again, it's free to try. So there's no downside. And that is it, my friends. Thank you so much for listening to another episode. Thanks for listening to the very end. I appreciate you guys. I hope you're having an amazing start to your week. Do let us know what you thought of this conversation. And if you want Alice and I to do a round two and talk more deeply about anything that we touched on in this conversation, best of luck with your mental strength training. And we will see you next time.